never, ever marks this spot. I am altering the deep. Pray I don't alter it any further. Welcome to this week's episode of the Top 5 Report, the podcast that wanted to visit the Magic Kingdom, but we could only afford a trip to Kiss My Anthea. My name is Drew. I'll be your host for the evening. Along with me, as always, is my brother Peter. Here. Hey, man. Um, how are you? How's COVID treating you? <laughs> uh, pretty good. I mean, COVID isn't, so that's a, that's good as well. <laughs> well, I, I officially got the second round of my COVID shot or my full government tracker is in place. So, um, and I'm going to tell you, it laid me out. So be ready for it. <laughs> um, if you decide to get the vaccine, that is. Um, we have guests this week, Peter. Um so for all you guys listening at home, we have a couple guests. Uh, Peter brought them on. So Pete, you want to introduce them and we'll kind of go from there? Yeah. So uh, this week we have a uh, good uh, old friend of mine, uh, Matthew Roth, who is a uh, somebody I've known since high school. But, you know, since then he's went on to uh, independently uh, write, direct, produce a few movies as well as just uh, making it in the, uh, I guess in Hollywood, so to speak. And then, uh, we also have Matt's lovely wife, Natalie here, who is also a, uh, she's an actress, but also a movie maker in her own right. So I'm super excited to have you both on and, uh, yeah, thanks. Thanks for joining us. Thanks. Good to be here. Thanks for having us. Um, now Peter, uh, just real quickly, um, you and Matt worked on a specific project together in a way, right? Uh, yeah, a little bit. So, um, well, so Matt made this movie a while ago and then he asked me to do like a comic book prequel to the movie. And I guess uh, we could have Matt talk a little bit about his, his movie if he wants, unless we want to save that for later. I know we're well, kind no, of just about this in a roundabout way, but I was thinking in terms of the connection of like you guys knowing each other and how that project came to be, because that gets us to here, if you will. Um, the uh, I remember. So you said that you Matt made the movie and then you made the comic book. I thought it was the other way around. And oh. Oh, wow. <laughs> the only reason I thought that was when Peter told me the story about it, I was like, oh, that's awesome. Where can I get the comic? And I picked up the comic and then I had Peter autograph it for me. I didn't realize it came the other direction. So, yeah, yeah. it was. Uh, well, I guess we can spoil it. I know we're going to talk about this a little yeah, bit. Later, why not? But, uh, uh, Matt made this movie called The Man Who Collected Food, which has now been renamed Cannibal Collector. And uh, it's a really awesome gory um dark comedy or i guess is it considered a black comedy yeah it's more along the lines of a black comedy but yeah Um, and it is hilarious and it's gory and it's awesome and uh i remember after matt made this movie uh before i had even seen it i and i don't even know how this came up but uh I got the opportunity to do a comic book prequel to the movie, uh, which is called 
the man who will collect food. <laughs> and it was one of those things where Matt emailed me the script and I had to read it and I had to just kind of glean what could have possibly come before that. And then I had to put it together and it was a blast. Um, it's a pro it's a process, but I'm working on scanning all those pages and actually putting it online for free because I did a small independent printing of these comics like years ago and I kind of just want to put it out on the internet for everybody to see. And I talked to Matt about that and he thought that was a good idea as well. So, yeah. Well <laughs> I remember, Matt, I remember reading the comic and thinking this is a, like, it started out, this is a really sad, touching story. Like, this was, it was really, like, depressing. And then it took this, like, crazy turn that I didn't necessarily see coming. And then I was, when I found out about, found out about the movie, I did not expect the trailer to make me laugh the way it did. And then I didn't expect the movie itself to make me laugh the way it did in the realm of the black comedy, like you're saying. Oh. <laughs> I, I found them. I found it to be incredibly entertaining all the way through. I'm like, it was. It's just a lot of fun, and I wasn't expecting that because of reading the comic first. Huh. Uh, out, of cool. out, of, out of curiosity, what made you find like what made you come up with this story? Yeah. Um, <laughs> back when I was in film school, I was, you know, I was trying to do as much as I could to get involved in the film production world. So there was classes above me and ahead of me that were making their final projects. And I would jump on them as their production assistant, which pretty much meant I'm doing whatever job that no one really else wants to do. Or, you know, because when you're in the classes, you're getting assigned camera operator, director, production designer, et cetera, et cetera. And then the kids before them, they could volunteer to, to work on these films. And on one in particular production, I was craft services, which I'm with the food. I'm with all, right. you know, <laughs> all <of> the <laughs> snacks and, and water and everything. And it's just me. So you get the random person that always coming back and saying hi. But other than that, it's just you and food. And I was one day I was just looking at the food and I noticed on there, I, I don't think it's any, I don't think it's special at all, special at all now, but Kirkland signature. And back okay. then, you know, I don't know if you collected like uh wrestling action figures or Star oh, Wars action the, uh, figures. Look at the shelves. If, if you, oh, yeah. Drew, <laughs> you can look at the image behind me. That's a shelf that wraps around the room and it's all Star Wars figures. So I totally understand. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> well, it's you know, it's some of those have I don't know if Star Wars does this, but I know like wrestling, they did the signature series and the signature yeah. this and whatever. And I thought, well, what's the regular edition of this Kirkland Signature brand? Which I don't think there is one. I think it is Kirkland Signature. But that did get me going onto this thought of, what if somebody actually collected food? Like, what would they do to live? Because me being, I, I'm not really a collector nowadays. This movie kind of actually helped me get past the whole collector mentality in some weird, <laughs> messed up way where I kind of sold everything I had and thought, all right, I step really away. Because it's <laughs> like... I never, I guess I never thought the movie, I always looked at the movie um, where it was kind of like focusing on the individual tale of McGuel. It Like it was his individual story. I never thought of it as like a overarching, like commentary on collecting in general, but that's actually a really interesting take on it. I mean, it really is. And I, you know, at the end of the film, I actually do give a special thanks to my father um, who had passed and, um, because he's the one that got me into collecting. And I really like he would have me 
back when we had you know the old DOS computers or whatever, he would have these lists for me, and I would be he'd be, he would have me grab a comic book and go, "What would you grade this? Near mint, mint, good." <laughs> and I would sit there doing with it, and I was loving it with him. And so I knew as a collector how important it is to have every piece of 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 collection that you yeah. have to be in pristine condition. So that meant if this guy is really serious about collecting, I mean, this is where it kind of goes off the deep end, but if he's so serious about this and he loves this as much as he says he does, he's not opening anything of food that he finds. So he obviously has to resort to cannibalism. Right. And then it gets into that dark, <laughs> the dark side <laughs> of him. <laughs> right. Um, the, uh, and, you know, there's a fine line between collecting and hoarding, and that's that collectors are organized. Um, so, you know, I just, the movie, one of the things I loved about the movie is your lead actor. I'm kind of drawing a blank on his name right now, but he, he, Mike has, some, yeah, he has some incredible facial expressions in terms of like just his reaction to things. And like when he's asked about his collecting habits and when he like is the idea of like, well, I'm going to have to eat something else. You know what I mean? When you watch him internalize yeah. things, it was just brilliant to kind of watch some of that stuff. He was just, he was, if I can interject, he was just brilliant because he was exactly, I don't know if you'll believe, if anybody would believe this, because it's, I still don't even believe it myself, but he is exactly what I wrote that character to be. Like he came in for the audition, word for word, beat for beat. He did absolutely, he said it was the most, he was, it was the craziest audition he ever had because I had him singing to his food, dancing with the food. <laughs> and it was just exactly what I had written on that page. Like he read every single line of dialogue exactly how I had it in my head, which I don't know. I, 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 it's just one of those things where I don't feel like it happens enough or that ever. Often, yeah. It's so sure. rare because most of the time you're making compromises and saying, oh, well, this this actor has a little bit of this character and I see it working. And, you know, I know he's a good actor, but to have right. everything kind of just married together like that, it was you know, some, sometimes you get lightning in a bottle, right? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> just ask, just ask George Lucas about that one. Uh, <laughs> um, well, Matt, uh, I didn't get it. I did watch the trailer for Five Piece, but I didn't get a chance to watch the movie in the time frame that I had between you, the announcement that you're coming versus you coming on. But I do plan on watching it. Um, Natalie, you're in Five Piece. Um, did you guys meet then or would you guys already know each other? Like, is that one of those like star crossed movie things? Like if he didn't put me in that movie, he'd be divorced. Yeah. right now. OK, no, I see. No, we I actually see. we actually very Hollywoodish. We met in a bar in Hollywood uh, like six years ago, I think. Um, and. No, I did you write that part for me or I wrote it with yeah. You did I think write I told when I gave you the yeah. script, I had said this is you know, you're playing this character. Yes. So my <laughs> I'm from Edinburgh from Scotland and okay. I grew up in a household of very interesting women. My mother and my grandmother were mediums, if you will. So I grew up in a household of this very uh, like very metaphysical. I mean, it's Scotland. It, they're very much into, you know, the Celtic and the afterlife. I mean, it's it's exactly what you think it is when you watch Game of Thrones. You know, I mean, it's, you know, um, and so actually, my mom had read the script, and my mom emailed me and she goes, "I want to play that part," and I was like, "No, mother, I'll be playing that part. You're not getting that." Part. I said to Matt, "My mom's going to fight me for this part." Um, but it was a role that was, it was very natural to me because I, I was raised in that type of household. So I know 
you know, I know the metaphysical world extremely well, if you will. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Well, the trailer looks awesome. Like I was really like intrigued by it. And I was, because of the comic book uh, for the man who collected food, I literally almost went, I kind of know that story. I'm going to watch this other one, but then I watched five piece trailer first. And then I watched the trailer for can't for the uh, man who collected food. I'm like, that just looks more fun right now. And yeah, watch no, it. it definitely <laughs> is. So, it fun. That was so, so I plan on watching the other one. Um, but, um, I was going to say really quick, um, because I was actually watching five piece earlier today and I wasn't able, cause I only saw it the one time. Um, oh yeah. yeah. I think when you premiered it in Illinois and, uh, so I was watching it again to kind of refresh my memory and I didn't make it the whole way through, but, uh, Natalie, I remember I was watching it and, uh, your first appearance is like really haunting and kind of like really frightening or freaky, if yes. I should say. And it's yes. like, it's really cool because it's, um, I don't want to spoil too much, but it's almost like in a, uh, dream sequence part of the movie. And, uh, there's all these characters and they're, they look kind of at peace in a lot of ways and they're all dressed in white colors and then natalie shows up and she's in all black and almost like this demonic presence and this is before the main character has even been introduced to the medium but just i just loved the uh directing as as well as just your presence in that part of the the movie like that was really awesome so yeah um i didn't mean to derail you there drew i just (laughs) wanted to mention it just so fresh in my mind is just like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Natalie yeah. being like the dark part of like this. I don't. Well, I think especially because that character hasn't been introduced yet, yeah. the rest have. Mm-hmm. So suddenly when that comes into it, it's like, who, you know, who is this? And then. And then we stay you know, with you longer than yes, the other ones too. Yes, so you yes, have a big yes. moment. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, Natalie, aside from some of your. Um, uh independent work i saw you were on stuff like general hospital and um uh cs uh csi right yeah i I almost said ncis so sorry about that (laughs) (laughs) they're they're so similar shows right but um what were you already in acting and some of that stuff when you and met at met yes no i had actually I was doing, do you know Train Spotting? Do you remember the Ewan McGregor movie Train Spotting? Oh, yeah. yes, so I, do. I was doing the production, the play of Train Spotting. Um, we opened in Los Angeles and uh, we were only supposed to run for six weeks. But actually, we sold out. The production did so well. We extended to for six months and then we were nominated for a bunch of Ellen Drama Critics Awards. And Steven Soderbergh came to see us. Kevin Spacey came to see us. It was like, I mean, Soderbergh came back to the dressing room and to, and talked to us, talked to the cast. And he said, that's by far one of the best plays I've ever seen in my life. And I was like, I can die tonight. I'm quite happy to <laughs> yeah, die. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but, um, but the show just did really, really well. And from that, I managed, I landed an agent. I got a green card. I booked two commercials, national commercials back to back. So I stayed in America and I was doing, I was, you know, I was doing quite well. And I was like, well, I may as well hang around for a bit. I've got working papers. Um, so I'd already been working in the industry um, prior to meeting Matt. Um, and that was actually what struck up our conversation yeah. when we first met. And I had made Man and Food by that time, too. That was like one of the things because she had said, well, you're a writer director. What have you done? And I go, man, I collected food. Yeah. <laughs> because you have to understand in Hollywood, everybody you, you, you meet, they're in some capacity in the industry. 
but yeah, they've usually never worked in the industry. So whenever anybody says I'm a director, I'm a writer, I'm like, okay, but what have you done? You know, like, yeah, okay, yeah, what, you know, what, what restaurant are you working in? Um, <laughs> so we ended up having a great conversation, but yeah, I'd already been working in the industry for quite a bit by the time we met. Nice. Um, yeah. Working independent film versus mainstream. What's your big takeaway there? You know what I mean? Like, is it, is yeah. it an organization or is it as you have, I always feel like independent has a little bit more freedom, if you will. You have much more freedom. Yeah. Network, <clears throat> network stuff. I mean, it's great. I mean, it's, you know, there's, there's nothing like having a big budget and, you know, working in that capacity, but um, it's different being an actor as opposed to like the t- my own uh, TV pilot that I had done that was my own, that was my first one that I did by myself that was written and, and we shot um, called Confessions of a Hollywood Bartender. That was uh, different because we made that independently. I've only had experience working as an actress on network television. I haven't worked as a producer or writer on network television. Um, so I loved it, but I do know that um, in terms of the, the production crew and the director and everything, your wings are a li- can be a little bit clipped um, sure. because everything is based on network notes, you know, and in the indie world, you don't have that. You have the freedom to really do whatever you want to do, um, which is fantastic, but you're not guaranteed an outlet at the end of the day, like you are with network television and stuff, you know? Very cool. All right. That makes perfect sense. And that's actually a wonderful segue because uh, we have some news I want to talk about. Um, And I'm glad you said that because um, having you guys working in the industry, you guys have to know about what's going on right now in the DC universe with the Snyder cut coming, correct? Yeah. (laughs) Do you or no? Do you know about this? Yeah. yeah. Okay. I I feel like everyone in the world knows about this, but Matt, because you're a director. Snyder cut pretty heavily on this podcast. So (laughs) it was a a big topic. Yeah. We have. And the only reason I bring that up, Matt, is because you're a director. And this is one of those weird, this is one of those weird times where a studio is essentially admitting that they're wrong and allowing a director to do something that is like virtually unheard of. And uh, with the fact that we've heard reports that Zach is not taking a dime for this because he's he guys he basically he got paid for it before. So he's not being paid for this version of the film. And he's basically getting to do what he wants. He's getting full creative freedom. He's basically getting to show us the movie that he always intended with no studio oversight. And I read a report about how Warner Brothers is not happy about this. They don't like the cut of the movie. And it's AT&T, the parent company, basically saying, no, you're doing this and letting him do it. So as a director, having that kind of freedom, what do you think about that? Just like, is that something we're really happy for Zach just to have the opportunity to do that? Or is it like, I mean, you, not that you've been in his shoes, but you've been in a director chair and you can understand that kind of oversight, if you know what I mean. Yeah. And I'm, I'm trying to put this in a, a nice way and in the most positive light, um, I mean, I, I don't think that, to be honest, I don't believe that the Snyder Cut's going to fix anything. I, you know, I, again, I'm trying to be as nice about this as possible. I just feel like there was problems with this whole DC thing from the very beginning and the way that they went about doing it. And that's a fair thing and to say. That is totally a fair thing to say. I just, it's, for me, it's like he had a vision 
and it got altered, but it wasn't his fault. And now he's getting to finish the vision he intended. So I'm kind of looking at it as let's see what the director intended more than more than anything, you know, whether you like it or dislike it to each his own. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And that's the thing, too. And I'll phrase this carefully as well, is that (laughs) if there was anybody but him, I would be excited. But I'm not, you know, just I've never I in well in his I feel like I put put you on the spot. I really do. (laughs) I had a I had a moment when I did watch Man of Steel, which I know not everybody liked, and there was a mixed reaction, obviously, but I watched that and I thought, all right, so Zack Snyder can do something. Like I I that was the thing I most admi I've most admired him for. Um I can't really say that about his other work it just like man of steel definitely made me feel something and it got me excited and i i thought it was great and then batman versus superman came along and i just go what am i what am i watching you know it's (laughs) i I don't know what happened from point a to point b or if it just was a fluke man of steel i I honestly don't know i've just never been a fan of of snyder's work so with you asking that question is this good is like if it was somebody else, I would say yes. But you know, I to each its um, own. But um, again, like just to jump on the bandwagon of that, keep in mind what we talked about with network notes. Right. You know, like Matt was saying, he didn't know what happened. Which, like, there's a lot that happens between point A and point B. You know, when it comes right. to net, the networks and, it's, and the studios, and it, it's yeah. you kind of you said it. Where I've never been in his shoes. Yes, but if I was in his shoes, like to put it this way, I would be very excited to have my cut of this, my version of this come out. I just, the thing that confuses me the most about this whole situation now is that it was, I don't think it was ever intended to be a four hour or something. So where did this come about where it was just going to be a regular theatrical film. And now we have four hours of this and I can't see that being beneficial at all. I can just see that dragging again. We don't know what we're going to see, but right. what, at what point did it go from, Oh, I guess he was going to do a two part, a two-part Justice League, correct? So I had originally read that it was supposed to be a three-part Justice League. Mm. Um, uh. That he, the first one was supposed to be like three hours, whatever length. He made a four-hour movie and was cutting it down when he had to leave the project. And Joss Whedon rewrote the project and made it a two-hour movie. Um, from everything I've been reading and everything coming out is that it, about 10% of what we originally saw, we're actually going to see again. The rest of it is all stuff. Mm. So Zach is basically giving us all of it. As yeah. opposed to basically like, I'm going to give you everything because it's my one chance to give you everything. So you're not going to get cutting room floor. You're not going to have like the deleted scenes on the Blu-ray when it comes out. So I was just, just as directors take someone who's worked in the industry and understands like the way a studio could have oversight but then this is a situation where the studio is going well shoot we can't actually say anything in this situation uh, you know just i just really was curious I mean, it's, yeah it's one of those things if i was Zack snyder right now i would be i would be excited because it's i know you know again if this is really what his vision was going to be and what he wanted to do then i mean my hat's off to him that he finally got that to happen and right. i, I kind of feel like the heart of the question was like just it's kind of crazy that this is even happening in general. So I think it's like, yeah, I mean, exactly as you said, like any director would be like really happy. And this is kind of an unprecedented thing almost. So uh, what were you saying though? Well, I don't know, but I had another, yeah, I don't know. Okay. That's fine. (laughs) I was going to say, I wasn't sure either. And you guys might know more about this too, is that was, was Snyder ever pushing for this cut? It felt like it was a fan thing where they were like, we need this. We need this. We need this. It was was literally his side of it. 
So basically from so the movie that we got released in 2017, all the footage Snyder showed at Comic-Con never made it into the movie. And uh, started going, well, what happened to all that stuff you showed us at Comic-Con last year? And then people started asking questions, and then slowly the sto- the real story started coming out. And, you know, Zach – and then Warner Brothers eventually had to reach out to Zach going, what is this? And he's like, well, you never released my movie, basically. Gotcha. They have a cut of the movie, but that's – that is not my movie at all. So he's had this cut from the beginning. Yeah. Like- then he's going to have done more reshoots for it as well. To well, add I guess they spent some money to clean up the CGI, and oh, yeah. and, and apparently he only did ten minutes of reshoots. Wow! So like like full ten minutes of reshoots. So it was yeah. like whatever money they spent to clean up the CGI because the cut he had was all rough cut, uncleaned, you know. So I. I don't know. I'm just excited to see the intended. You know, it's kind of like uh, when Tarantino released Hateful Eight. And he had it in that uh, specific uh, like 70 millimeter format or whatever that was. Mm-hmm. I was like, well, I got to go see it in that because that's how he wanted everyone to see it. You know, so oh, when he did sure. the road show. Yeah. Yeah. So I went and saw it at a theater that could handle that format and made sure I saw it in the intended format. Like it's the director's vision. And I look at for me, films and art form. And that's how I want to see it done. You know, so yeah, absolutely. So Matt, if you make a movie and you say, Drew, you got to see it in this specific format. I will go out of my way to see it in that format. So yeah, I get that. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I did want to say too, um, just with the Snyder Cut thing, is like I'm on the show and like uh, Matt. I know you've listened to episodes before, so you know we're tr- we try to be as positive as possible. But like, don't don't feel like you have to hold anything That's back. Nice. You know, be honest with us because there's times where we talk about stuff on the show, and I just can't help but say like I don't like it. Like. Uh, like, I don't want to talk bad about stuff too much, but like, I really don't like the movie Spider-Man Homecoming and it comes up in conversation sometimes. And I'm just like, <laughs> yeah, I just didn't care for that one too much. But like, I mean, I guess we just believe in constructive criticism, yeah. like no need to make anybody feel bad if like Spider-Man Homecoming's their favorite film, but just it wasn't for me. So I'm just saying, like, yeah. be honest, just, don't feel pressured. No, you, you know, I, I do want to put it as, as nicely you know? as possible yeah. because yeah. It, I, you know, it. I think Drew has said this as well is that it's. I think it's a good thing for directors to for this to happen. And I, yeah. I, but you know, you say you know Warner Brothers won't do anything, but AT and T are still giving notes or vice versa. Like it's still. I think it's it's not going to fix any problems that we've ever had that we have in the industry. Right. It's still going to continue, but somehow by some miracle, you can call it whatever you want. He managed to get this through, right. and the fans did too. So it's 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 great for everyone who wanted it. Yeah, right. you know, I I'm going to go on tomorrow, not really caring. You know, I might watch <laughs> yeah. it at some point, but right. you know, overall, I think it's good for you know the director's vision to, yes. to be the way that they wanted it to be. Yeah. Yeah. And you don't. And my whole point of asking you is really like you're a director as opposed to working in that specific type of film. You know what I mean? And it's yeah. just trying to get your thoughts. Um, I have a couple news stories um, that I want to hit real quick. Um, I kind of jumped over watching and reading. Are the two of you watching anything? Did you have you read anything lately that's like really standing out that uh, I've started reading things? American Gods? And oh, that yeah. Is blowing my mind. I can't believe I put it off for so long. I'm loving it. <laughs> Neil Gaiman's American Gods, yeah? yeah. Yeah. I haven't seen the TV show or anything, but I, I've picked up the book and halfway through it, and it's just, it's such a wonderful read. Nice. Natalie, anything? Have you, like, 
Uh, I'm actually in post-production on a film right now, so I'm in the editing room every day. So my attention is on your own stuff. <laughs> yeah, so I'm not, yeah. Um, the last thing I read was a Madeline Monroe book, um, which is one of my obsessions. Um, we, Matthew and I, we actually went on our first date to the Hollywood Roosevelt Hotel, and that's where he proposed to me too. Danny DeVito was a part of it. Danny DeVito was there. He congratulated <laughs> us. Um, and uh, he took some pictures with us. He was, he seemed more excited about the wedding. I mean, we were certainly excited, but Danny DeVito seemed very excited. Um, so I have a thing with like old Hollywood and Madeline Monroe lived at the Roosevelt Hotel. Um, and so did Montgomery Clift, and they're known to both still apparently haunt it. Um, so the last book I read, Matt had got me, and it was on Marilyn Monroe and and whatnot. So, yeah. Thanks. Uh, Peter and I, our dad um, has a table that sits in our uh, our basement from at our childhood home that um, apparently it was a wedding present to our dad. Um, and apparently Marilyn Monroe sat at that table at a restaurant. Wow. Oh, wow. I never knew about this. Do you know what it's, restaurant it's from? I'd have to find out. Peter, it's that round wooden table that's in the oh, basement. I know exactly what table you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, so apparently, apparently my dad worked at the restaurant, and she came in and sat at that table, and as a wedding present, that he was given the table. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that's amazing. That's amazing. I love it. Yeah, right? I, I thought that was pretty cool. So, uh yeah. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's the only, that's the closest Marilyn Monroe thing I got for you. <laughs> that's pretty good, yeah. Um, Peter, did you watch anything this week? Uh, yeah, I watched a couple things. Uh, the one thing I wanted to mention, especially, is I finally got a chance to watch Superman and Lois, um, the uh, the pilot episode. Yeah. Last week I hadn't seen it, and uh, I can say I love it. It's pretty much what I expected, because if you look back at the show Lois and Clark, that show is more about... Lois and Clark's relationship than it was about, you know, Superman fighting crime and stuff like that. And so the balance between Superman and Lois's family life and their kids and the Superman uh, actual like action stuff is exactly what I expected uh, to say, so to speak. And um, I don't know, I really appreciated the I thought the action scenes were really badass. I think it shows a lot that there's to look forward to uh, the villain at the end that they revealed was awesome. But uh, yeah, I don't have too much more to say about it besides that, unless you have any specific questions. No, I, uh, the one quibble that I wanted to mention from last week when you and I were talking was the, um, we, uh, I mentioned there was a, I, one of the issues I had with the episode was that the Lex Luthor character, the reveal that Lex Luthor is the villain at the end of the episode um, it's, it, well, it's a spoiler, I guess, but it's not the same Lex Luthor that the CW has used before. I've been thinking about that ever since I saw the episode. And, and, I, it, yeah. and you and I have talked. One of the biggest things that we like that the CW does is one in their superhero shows. There's this thing called the consistency where they use the same yeah. actors or everything. So if it's a different Lex Luthor, I would hope that there's some kind of explanation for that. I mean, I know it's DC, so there's a multiverse, quote unquote. But um, I hope that there's some kind of explanation. So us yeah. comic book fans have we want everything to be. Like, I, I didn't notice it in the moment, sense. but thinking back to it, I realized like, wait, that wasn't John Cryer, like that. That's not Lex Luthor. Um, so I kind of uh, I'm on the same page as you, but it was kind of one of those things I didn't want to point out that I noticed that because I was almost like, 
maybe there's another version of Lex Luthor that I don't know about. <laughs> I thought I'd be like ex exposing a lack of geek cred if I didn't know it, but I'm glad you uh, brought that up because I'm on the same page. But I can say like, I thought they did a really good job of not exactly letting you know who the villain was until the end and uh, in his suit and stuff. Like you could tell by the end, it's like, oh yeah, that kind of does look like the Lex Luthor, like, uh, kryptonite suit that we've seen in, a, in the comics a million times, but they also left it ambiguous enough that you're just like, wait, which villain is this? Is this General Zod or, you know, who is this? So I right. thought that was kind of a, they really played that up the right way. Um, and then other than that, I've just watched WandaVision. Um, and I don't know if you two are watching WandaVision. I don't know if we want to go into our well, deep we just diet like Natalie, we usually do. But. <laughs> we just learned that Matt's reading a book and Natalie's like in editing. So neither one of them are watching WandaVision. Yeah. <laughs> no, although we did. We actually did watch We actually did watch Solomon Kane the other night. Oh, nice. Did oh. you ever see Solomon Kane? No, I haven't. I haven't watched it. I've heard good things, but yeah, Casey recommended it. Yeah, oh, yeah my brother. <laughs> yeah, it was actually pretty good. It was very bloodthirsty, very brutal. Nice. Um, it definitely, it, but it was good. It was actually good. I mean, you yeah. were entertained. I was entertained. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did you like it, Matt? Or I mean, I guess so. <laughs> I have no complaints about okay. it. I didn't think it was the greatest thing I ever saw, but yeah. I was, you know, you have a guy killing people with swords. I'm in. Yeah, you know, I'm exactly. a pretty simple person. Well, that's, that's, that's a, you know what? You guys are like giving me these great segues into things. Um, in terms of guys killing people with swords, I'm going to hit, we're going to hit this one news story and then we'll play our game for the night where we get to do our top five list. Um, Cause that segues nicely too. But this, uh, you guys know that there's a Dungeons and Dragons movie coming. Matt, Natalie, I don't know if you guys play Dungeons and Dragons at all. Listen, Matt and I had this conversation the we other night. We just watched the film. Oh. So, no, so here's the thing. I didn't know it was a game because in Scotland it was a TV show. And I grew up with this TV show. It was a cartoon TV show, right? Or live action? No, it was a – no, yes, it was an, It was a cartoon. Okay. But it was animated, but it was really, really well done. Natalie. And it was on throughout my whole childhood, and it was fantastic. Nice. And I only knew it as a television show, Dungeons and Dragons. It was this fantastical, uh, like mystical, amazing ride that you would go on every night when you go home from school. It was fantastic. And Matt and I talked and he was like, oh, yeah, the board game. And I was like, what are you talking about? I'm talking about Dungeons and Dragons. He's like, yes, it's a board game. <laughs> so obviously two different countries. But right. I had no idea. And then we tried to pull up, and we found out that they're making a movie. Oh yeah, because when we when we were going through medieval fantasy films too, we I was like, oh maybe we'll get to Dungeons and Dragons. Here's the trick, because I've seen it. I saw it, I think, in the theaters, <laughs> but I don't think Natalie didn't know that there was even a movie. And I, I was had like, no well, idea. Here's the trailer. <laughs> Hopefully, we get to it. <laughs> I only knew the TV show when I was um, young. Well, Natalie, you I've seen that cartoon, so I know what you're talking about. Ah, okay. Uh, so I I didn't know it was a board game, but I've seen that cartoon. So I know exactly what you're talking about. It's a fantastic cartoon. Yeah. But yes, they did do another movie that Matt apparently went to the theater to see. Um, <laughs> I was very excited. The, uh, but apparently they're going to do a new one. And the thing that yeah. caught my attention it made me laugh a little bit. But I was also like, of course, why not? Uh, Hugh Grant is joining the cast of Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> yeah, I just wow. I heard that, too. Yep. Yeah. Um, 
So I thought that was cool. So we'll see. I don't know what role he could be. I don't know if he's going to be killing people with swords or mystical powers or if he's going to be the villain. Who knows? But I thought that was awesome. Um, I just watched The Undoing or finished it a few weeks uh, a few weeks ago, and he was phenomenal. I don't know if you guys know about that show or not. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, it was really good. Peter, you haven't checked that out yet, have you? No, I haven't had a chance to okay. watch that one. But... All right. Well, since we're talking, since we're already in the medieval fantasy realm, let's talk about our top five list for the night. So, Peter, you ready to do the list? Absolutely. Perfect. So, uh, you guys know what that means. Ryan, will do me a favor and roll the thing. And now for the top five. All right. Uh, Peter, this was your list. Yes. So, um, and you brought on the guests and you apparently had already talked to Matt and Natalie about all this stuff before uh, tonight. So why don't you explain to our listeners what we're doing tonight if they were not listening last week? Well, I should say it was more of a, uh, it's almost more Matt's list than mine. Um, I remember, so I was talking to Matt, like, we got to get you on the show. Like, would you want to do it? And Drew, you know, when we bring guests on, it's always, what list do you want to do? And uh, Matt wasn't sure. So I'm like, here's, uh, you know, five or six of them that I've been sitting on. And uh, he was really drawn to the uh, medieval fantasy movie list. Uh, so we started talking about that. But what I wasn't expecting is in the meantime, ever since we planned him joining the show, he him and Natalie went on this huge deep dive, of like going into the back catalog of like every medieval fantasy movie <laughs> that was ever made and marathoning them. So they actually might have a lot more to say about this genre and maybe their movies than drew you and i even will but um no, I don't know if you guys have anything to add in before we jump into the list well, or... I, yeah i just want to say that when you said medieval fantasy you know we're doing it without lord of the rings so that makes yes it, yeah it makes it interesting because for me lord of the rings is you know especially after going through a lot of these films you come to appreciate Lord of the Rings even more yeah. for what they did and you realize what you need <laughs> to make a good medieval fantasy movie you need yeah a tremendous amount of talent, money, and just, you know, everything to go in your favor. And Peter Jackson did that. And for me, Lord of the Rings was, especially the Fellowship of the Ring, it's like I'm connected to it because it got me into filmmaking. I remember going to the cinema, seeing the Fellowship of the Ring, and kind of I was still teetering between being a writer, uh, a novelist, or just and or doing films. And it was that film that I thought, that's what I need to be doing. So this genre, these films have such a, a deep impact in my life and my career. And I really have no intention to ever do a film like this, but it's something that I'm just drawn to. You know, that's something that I just love and appreciate. I love being taken into these worlds and of, you know, swords and sorcery and and whatever little creatures you're going to come across. So it's, <laughs> yeah. it was really exciting when Peter presented this. because, And I've had a list of all these films that I've been wanting to go through. And I said, Peter, this is going to give me the, the perfect opportunity to yeah. have an excuse. Just watch all this whole entire list I've had since I think I was in high school. Yeah. I would just jot down, oh, I've heard of this one. What's this one? What's this film? So <laughs> That's awesome. That's uh, No, I think it's great. I feel like you two are like the most prepared of any guests we've probably had on the show as far as just the list goes. Cause I don't know anybody else who's marathoned films like that, but uh, I don't know if we'll no, have any awesome. gems, but you know, cause from what I've seen, a lot of the lists that I've seen online, a lot of those films are kind of in the same ranking or in the top yeah. five or whatever. And that's for a reason, you know, mm -hmm. and I, I have my arguments for all my films in my top five, you know, there's definitely a certain class to them that some films just don't reach that 
they don't reach that mark. And there's nothing wrong. You know, it, I get it. Like, not every film can be Lord of the Rings, but I have this... When I go into a film, whether it's medieval fantasy or not, I want to feel something. I want to have this deep connection to the film. And that's not just this genre, it's film in general. So I couldn't, you know, a part of me thought, well, if it's a good story, maybe if the acting wasn't really good, but if it was a good story or a good fight or whatever, I'll, I'll, I'll choose that one. I might contradict myself with my picks, but um, I really wanted it to be films that I connect with. And, mm-hmm. you know, the ones that really put a lot into it, they do, you know, and especially since ba- a lot of these films come from the 80s where yeah. I really appreciate them for being real and authentic where they're in the sense of not relying on CGI. And, you know, you do see mm-hmm. like there's some films in here. Uh, they say that they're the best dragons that you'll ever see on screen that are, you know, not real, but they're animatronics or puppetry right. or whatever. And it's just there's so much to say for that, I think, especially with this, because nowadays, too, this medieval fantasy genre has reverted back into and you can even argue this for the Hobbit films, they've reverted into CGI and that safety net and that ease of just, oh, we'll click, you know, a couple of buttons on the computer. I mean, not to simplify that process, but, you know, it's as opposed to casting these thousands of extras for this grand, you know, battle scene and making them all have swords and and whatnot. And (laughs) I'll stop rambling. (laughs) No, absolutely. I think uh, you, I, I, as you were talking, I wanted to add to that, but you just so well described like kind of what makes a good medieval fantasy film, I, I believe. And uh, yeah, it's just hard to follow that up, to be honest. I think, I know you said you were ram- rambling, but I think you were right on the money with that whole. What's know, nice to hear. <laughs> what's nice to hear about that, Matt, is that there's a whole generation of filmmakers out there that say they got into the industry because of Star Wars. And we're hearing from someone who got in for a completely different movie and your reasoning why and stuff. And that's that's kind of more an awesome thing in terms of ice. And I don't you know, want to say because it's great that Star Wars got certain people into certain to do that kind of stuff. You know, you, you hear from Abrams, Star Wars, is the movie that got him in and you know, that kind of stuff. And then you hear from someone else. It's like, well, Harry Potter got me in. well, Lord of the Rings got me in. You know, there's yeah. always a trick. There's something that got you like how they do that. I want to know. And then it made you curious and you went on this amazing journey. And now here you are. So. I mean, it's awesome. It really made me realize, and you know, there's days I still teeter on this, that I, I think for me, film is, it, I don't think it is the greatest art form yet, but it has the potential to be our greatest art form. And, you know, it was that little segue that I thought, well, this is better than the book. You know, I, it's, you know, that's my opinion, but mm-hmm. right. um, there was something about seeing everything on a screen and just the way that it was all done. It was just so it just how the music came in with the acting and the, the cinematography, it all just, it's, it was, it, in my opinion, it was perfect, you know, and you don't, you don't get that a lot. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. All right. Well, let's talk about some of these movies you guys watched and what lands on your lists. So, um, because Peter picked the list, Peter, who do you want to go last? It's your call. Uh, I can go last, I guess. Or do you want to go first? Me? Because that's how sure. we usually play. All right. Uh, so, does, so we are allowed two honorable mentions. I don't know if you if either of you have honorable mentions on your list or if you just have the. What do you mean? Honorable mentions? So we, we have the our top five the and then you're allowed two extras. Oh. If you like. Natalie, it's basically the it's basically the you're like, oh, man, I really wanted that on my list, but it doesn't fit movie. <laughs> We call them second bananas. Who's the second banana? <laughs> <laughs> Basically. And we allow two of them. And these are all just meant to be quick reviews, and we all get to argue about them. So, um, And the point is to talk about your honorable mentions longer than the actual pick. 
<laughs> just kidding, but it seems like we do that a lot. So gotcha. if we do, I feel like we do that a lot too. Um, so I'm going first, right, Peter? Yeah. Okay, cool. And I'm going to keep track on our little handy-dandy spreadsheet that I've been creating for the whole time we've been doing this show. Um, so my first honorable mention, um, it's, I feel like it's kind of a cheat because it's not 100% medieval fantasy because there's a time travel element to it. And that's what? the movie Army of Darkness. Nice. Uh, which essentially is Evil Dead 3. The majority of the movie takes place in medieval times, but I feel like it's such a fun movie and it's a bizarre movie, but I really love like the old school effects that they did in that movie, they just make me laugh. And I feel like no matter how many times I watch it and no matter how old the movie gets, it holds up and it's just a fun sit, if you will. Um, but that's the only reason I made an honorable mention. I just couldn't put it in the top five, but I'm like, I had to squeeze it in there. So, I mean, Bruce Campbell in medieval times, you, you can't yeah, go right. wrong. Like, I get where you're saying it might not be a medieval fantasy, but I, <laughs> I thought of it too, though. I did think about it at one point, I, but I always consider, I don't know. See, you get also, you get into the medieval horror. So I, I don't right. know. I mean, right. And that's where I, I, that's, it, why, that's why I, I put it in the honorable mentions yeah. category. I didn't count it in the five. Uh, I was like, I got to bring this up. I have multiple cheats on my list, so I'm totally cool with that. But uh, okay, yeah, it's really Darkness hard to get ours awesome. <laughs> No we cheats. Very specific. Okay. No <laughs> cheats. All right. Um, <laughs> how about this, uh, Natalie? You can go first. We'll go ladies first on this one. So, is this my top five or my honorable, honorable mention? You have an honorable mention. Great. If not, um, we can but, save you till we get to the actual five. Yeah, my honorable mention would be How to Train Your Dragon. Ah, uh, is that the only honorable mention you got? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I think it's it's obviously I'm very it's everybody's Scottish except for um the Jay lead J yeah, Jay Baruchel who plays the kid and America Ferreira. But other than that, it was very much a touch of home. <laughs> Listening awesome. to Craig Ferguson and Gerard Butler and all these guys playing these Vikings. And uh it I think for me it was nice to see an animated medieval fantasy, which you don't get that often, you know. No, you don't, especially that hardcore medieval fantasy. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Um, I know we're supposed to, uh, I'm supposed to go last, but I can say I matched on this honorable mention. Um, I actually said How to Train Your Dragon 1 through 3, but uh, I love this movie series. I feel like I've gushed over it a ton on the podcast, but I just think it's a really creative premise and they executed it so well. And there's all these nooks and crannies in the movie that they filled in with more creativity. Like uh, when the kids are training with their dragons in the first one and they end up, they're in that kind of uh, Coliseum esque uh, gymnasium, yeah. yeah, whatever you want to call it. And they're like fighting in that little, uh, like that wooden maze. And I was like, oh, that's like a really cool, creative visual to put in this movie. Um, but by the time, and I don't know if you've seen the full series, Natalie, or not, but yeah, yeah. by the time you get to the third one, like the third one, I've said this on the show before, but I was so impressed by how much detail went into every single part of that movie. Yes. And in the background, there's, dragons and vikings and people doing crazy stuff like in almost every scene and there's so much love and attention to detail mm -hmm. in that film and uh yeah i just love this series so i totally match yeah. you on this one yeah so. they don't miss a beat in those movies mm -hmm. absolutely um matt do you have any honorable mentions i do my i i uh i do have two i guess um what's your my, first one my first big one is princess bride um that barely made the cut i you know, I have my issues with it in regards of the the storytelling flashback. I know it's such a minute detail in the overall 
um, concept of the film, but it just, to me, that takes me out of it. I mean, I think the story is beautiful. The, the acting is incredible. And just, it's, it's just this very magical medieval story, but you know, it's those little things that I, if you do one little thing that takes me out, then I'm out for And I don't like, I want it to be a hundred percent whole, you know, and I don't, sure. I don't really know anybody else's take on the whole Fred Savage being read to you by Peter Falk. But for me, I just, I remember sitting there thinking, I wish they would just jump right into it, you know, and not come out to it. Cause there's times too, where Fred Savage will go, wait, what happened? Did that really happen? And Peter Falk's like, yes. And then they like go back to that scene and they show that scene right. a little bit and they, I it's cute, but for me as a film, <laughs> like the aesthetic of it, it just I, it takes me yeah, away from ever, it. it makes me depreciate can, it. Or, can I ask you when was the first time you saw this movie? Did you grow up with it or was it No, it, I didn't see it until I was Okay. I don't think until I was in film school. Because Drew and I grew up with this movie, like yeah. we watched it as kids. So those I can see how those uh scenes would take the experience away for you. Yeah. But for me, like I don't even think about it because I've loved the Princess Bride like my whole life. So that's just why I wanted to have your yeah. perspective on that. Well, you know? I'm curious too. I wish I could go back some of these films that are on my list. I I hadn't seen them in so much later. Yeah. And I'm obviously it's it's one of those things, especially with even films like Ghostbusters. Like I if I didn't see it as a child, how would I have seen it as an adult? Like you yeah. look at things to, you yeah. just it has it has that special Mm -hmm. attachment to you as a child and yeah. you're going to love it no matter what is growing up and yeah you know find yeah. little other things in it that that make you excited and appreciative so yeah absolutely and there's the whole nostalgia level that you get while watching the yes. your old favorites yeah. But, uh, yeah um well uh the print matt peter and i were talking about this a while back have you ever read the novel princess bride no, no i haven't okay. so the novel has all the Fred Savage, Peter Falk stuff in okay. it. <laughs> all right. And it drives me nuts because I because he's holding the book in the movie. I want that book. Like, I don't want the Fred Savage stuff in the book. Right. I want the book that's just the story. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I love a copy on the shelf, but it doesn't, but it would have all that extra stuff in it. And I'm like, no, that's not the story of the Princess Bride. <laughs> so um, I totally hear your pain on that one. Uh, Peter, uh, oh, actually, that would circle back to you because I circled back to me. Yes. Uh, so my next honorable mention is Your Highness. Uh, uh, I wanted yeah. to watch that. <laughs> <laughs> um, this movie has only gotten funnier to me and only gotten better. Um, I didn't realize when I the first time I watched it, I did not like it as I in repeat viewings, um, uh, seeing how like heavily into the material they were. It's like. I feel like the people who made that movie are like, we want to tell this medieval fantasy story. We want to do it as a comedy. And oh, hey, by the way, we all play Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> um, so they kind of like just put all their cards on the table and said, what story can we create and just have a good old time? Basically is what it felt like. I felt like I was I felt like I was sitting around their gaming table watching them play as I repeat watched that movie. Um, so it just it I just really, really liked that movie in the end. But yeah, so. I did see, um, I feel like Danny McBride was one of the writers on that film. Um, or yeah. he had something to do with yeah, the story because I, so. I saw him on, uh, it was one of the talk shows and he was saying that he actually made that movie to, uh, sort of, he was, his goal was to revive the sword and sorcery movie boom from the eighties. <laughs> obviously that didn't quite happen, but it's definitely a noble cause to, uh, work towards, but I need to watch that movie again because, 
I've mentioned on this podcast, I was so excited for that movie and I was a bit disappointed, but maybe if I watch it again, I'll enjoy it a lot more, but. Right. Um, <coughs> Natalie, you only had the one honorable mention, correct? Yeah. All right, Matt, what's your second honorable mention? My second one, I, I don't have much to say about it, but I just, you know, I enjoyed it. Um, for the first time ever, I finally got around to watching uh, Tales from Earthsea by the Studio Ghibli. The, uh, oh, that one's awesome. Okay, yeah. I really, I've been wanting to watch it for a long time. I Surprisingly enough, I haven't read the Wizard of Earthsea series, a uh, series of books. I've always wanted to. I own them for a while. I don't know where they are now, but it's that it, I've always wanted to go into that world, and finally I was like, for this... For this list, I thought, well, I'm going to watch it because I, you know, I, I believe it's medieval fantasy and it's just, I, I enjoyed it. And I loved realizing halfway through that the bad guy's voice was William Dafoe. I mean, we watched <laughs> yeah. the English version. So yeah. we, you know, with the, <laughs> usually we watch, we, I always watch the subtitles, but with animated stuff, if there's an English track, it just, it doesn't make a difference to me. So I was like, oh, is, William, is that William Dafoe? Yeah. <laughs> when it comes to, when it comes to animated stuff, I 100% agree. Otherwise, I always watch the subtitles. So, yeah. Um, I do love that uh, that movie, um, whatever it's called, Tales from Earth, Earthsea Earth or whatever. Yeah. Um, I've seen that one, too. It actually made my short list. But I was going to ask if you watched it subbed or dubbed because I was curious on your take about Willem Dafoe being in there. But it's that's just one of those ones where it's Studio Ghibli, so you know it's going to be gorgeous and it's going to be a good story. So I don't have too much else yeah. I would say about it. I mean, well, thanks but. to HBO Max, we finally get to stream these films. Because Natalie is finally, we've been going down the Studio Ghibli Oh, nice. Pipeline. Yeah. I started with her with uh, Spirited Away, and, mm -hmm. you know, obviously we have a lot more great stuff to watch, but um, thanks to HBO. Yeah. <laughs> you know, what's funny about that is we were, when HBO Max was coming, we were kind of like, oh, great, another streaming service. Here we go, that kind of stuff. And now we're like, great. I'm so glad this streaming service exists. <laughs> I, just, so, I love it. It's my favorite. It's fantastic. I mean, yeah. TCM, DC, Studio Ghibli, I mean, all the HBO. Right. Max, originals, everything. It's just they have BBC stuff. Gotten into that Doctor Who. It's been crazy. Yes, <laughs> finally. I grew up just with been it. Going Matt's down different it. rabbit holes. Yeah. <laughs> um, Peter, what's your next honorable mention? And then we can get to okay, our the next list. one. I actually switched around a bit because I know we're trying to be more strict with our uh, whether it's medieval or not. And this one is still a bit of a cheat, but I have uh, the movie <laughs> Crawl, um, uh... which. As far as like 80s fantasy movies, as far as the um, visuals and stuff go and just the premise, this is possibly one of my favorite ones. Watching it with, uh, I guess, 2020 eyes or however you want to phrase it, it drags a little bit. I think it's a little slower moving than I would like it to be, but I still think all the monsters in it, um, the different kinds of uh, species and, of course, the, the whole like alien invasion uh pl like plot to it as well i just think is really fascinating and really well done and of course i love the uh the giant monster at the end and of course that iconic throwing star boomerang whatever you call it like such an iconic it's, film Peter, it's called a glaive <laughs> okay <laughs> <laughs> i lose some of my call fan uh cred i guess as well but no, I'm just messing with you. I actually, uh, that's that's really cool that you grabbed Crawl, and I love how Matt groaned a little bit there when you said that. Uh, that made me laugh. Uh, Matt, I 
Crawl is one of those movies that I grew up with, so I totally understand where Peter's coming with on that. No, I just no, it has nothing to do with the the quality of the film. It's just as medieval fantasy. Like it, it, the girl is more about him cheating again. No, I've kind of cheated. Oh, oh I got you. <laughs> I got another cheat. I, I, have, I have one more cheat, and it's probably it's pretty bad. It's a horrible cheat, but uh, we'll get to that eventually. <laughs> right now. Um, all right. Well, first, actual picks of the night. So. Um, my first one is actually the princess bride. Um, that one actually makes my list. This is one I grew up with. This is one that I've watched so many times that I groan when it's on television because I'm like, Oh, it's princess bride, but it's one that I'll sit down and watch over and over and over again. Um, there's certain, there's just certain call outs and certain scenes and people make references in public and you're just like, ha, that's princess bride. And like, I feel like there's this like niche crowd that gets it, if you will, um, when you throw out a reference sometimes. And it's like if you make a rhyming joke, someone will always throw out the rhyming, uh, you know, anyone want a peanut kind of line. Uh, that line will come up sometimes or, you know, the, the the poison in the glass. Like I've seen that come up in times in like bars and people are like joking around and stuff. It just it makes me smile from the beginning of the movie to the end, even the Fred Savage stuff, Matt. So um, I just. <laughs> Princess Bride, one that sits close to my heart on that one. So, and it's one that really got me into sword fighting too. Like, I just loved the fencing scenes in that movie. Like, they're all phenomenal. It got me really phenomenal. Phenomenal. Just, they really made me pay attention to sword yeah. fighting stuff, and I started watching like what movie has a sword fighting in it. And now I'll go play a video game or something, and I have to have a sword, or you know what I mean? Like, it's that's just how that is. So, have um, you ever seen Adventures of Robin Hood from like the 1930s? Yeah. Uh, yeah, the Errol Flynn ones. Yeah, if you want to see good sword fighting, I mean that is just textbook. <laughs> no, and I totally agree. And that's that. Those are some amazing fencing sequences. Another one that Peter and I have talked about that we love the fencing in. Um, I don't know if you ever saw the Disney's Three Musketeers. Um, he's with like Charlie Sheen and Charlie Sheen. Sheen. Yeah, I think as a kid, I didn't remember nothing it's, from it. I don't uh, think so. It's on Disney Plus, but if you've never seen it, the fen- the sword fight scenes are amazing in yeah. that in that movie. It's so. a really fun sort of bombastic uh, movie as well. Like if you're, it's kind of along the lines of like Pirates of the Caribbean as well. You know, is where it's just like a super fun, like awesome swashbuckling tale. So if you're in the mood for something like that, I definitely recommend it. But yeah. Um, yeah, whole thing sword fighting, a whole top five. I think that'd be the next one. <laughs> yeah, we right. do a top five favorite swordsmen before. Yeah, we did a swordsmen, so like specific characters, yes. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, I can say as well, I did match with Princess Bride. <laughs> I, was gonna, oh, oh, <laughs> I was going to actually save this uh, for last because this is one of my... It's probably one of my top three favorite movies of all time. Like, I just love this film. We've talked about it a ton on the podcast, but just it's one of those things where it's the 80s. So they didn't have the best special effects and stuff, but they made up for that with really good writing and really good characters and just really iconic um, dialogue. And it's just I love it. And when I see it on TV, I don't groan. I uh, I throw my fist in, in the air and I get excited about it. So <laughs> take that <laughs> true. <laughs> um the uh natalie uh what is your first pick of the night i'm going to tell you that but i first have to say on princess bride i'm a huge mandy patinkin fan i'm such a good actor and you know i couldn't believe that that was him 
when Matt and I watched it, I was like, wait, I know those eyes. And then I looked <laughs> up and I said, that is mm-hmm. not Mandy. I couldn't believe it. He is from Homeland to Princess Bride. Yeah. You I would know. not know that that's the same being. Opposite He's Princess Bride. To yes. I mean, you know, just the difference. I mean, it's unbelievable. And also, um, uh, Andre the Giant yeah. Knowing, like Matt and I went back. We watched and, that HBO documentary on him, and it just made us. I just felt for him so much because of his life and everything. And then when we watched Princess Bride, it just it made me so happy just to see him in that. I don't know. I just he's just so lovable. He's so lovable, and he just even in real life he was so lovable. I just love that that shows through in that movie. But I was no. just writing your coattails on that. No, that's and, awesome. My number one is actually Tales from Earthsea. You're your number five, that is? Oh, I'm sorry. Well, these are, are in no particular order. Yeah, they are in no yeah. particular order. I just, well, I always save my fit, the one I want to talk about the most to last, unless Peter trumps me and makes me match on him. <laughs> okay, well, I'll save my number two to last time. There you go, yeah. Um, no, I love Tales from Earthsea. I, and again, I'm very new to the whole Japanese anime. Like, I really... And some weirdly enough, growing up in Scotland, we just were not, we just, I didn't, it was like we were shut off from majority of the world. We, there was a lot that we just didn't get. Mm-hmm. It was mainly British stuff that we grew up with, you know, like British TV and films. We didn't get, we just didn't get what you had, you know? I mean, I didn't even know, Matt had to teach me about comic, American comic books. Mm-hmm. He was oh. like, no, this was a comic book, this movie. I was like, that's why I don't understand it. <laughs> so we had to, but he's, he's, Jangly has taught me a lot. Um, but watching Tales from Earthsea, first off, it's absolutely beautiful. It's like watching a painting come to life, literally detail for detail. It's so fantastic. And it pulls you, weirdly enough, for an animated movie, it immediately pulls you into that world. Like, it's just, it's so easy. It's just so easy, you know? I It was, it was like watching a piece of art come to life. I just thought it was fantastic. The journey was amazing. Um the sorcery is fantastic. Everything about it, by the end of it, I was like, that is one of the best movies I've ever seen. Nice. Um, I actually have not seen this, so I'm going to oh. have to, just based on these reviews, I'm going to have to go. I, how about this? I've seen it sitting there on HBO Max as I've like opened up the app and stuff, and I'm going to have to go uh, watch this now. So. It's a beautiful, beautiful film. Fantastic. Um, and I like enough anime to jump on that bandwagon, so I will definitely give this a set. Uh, Matt, it's your turn. Uh, my number five is I've chosen this. Um, I don't know. I had that whole speech about medieval fantasy and what it should be and how, you know, Lord <laughs> of the Rings, this and that. And I we watched this film and I would just I don't know. I, I haven't stopped thinking about it, but my number five is Lady Hawk. I. Oh. Honestly, I think Natalie, because this is this was my first time watching it, too. I had never seen it. And Natalie and I were watching it and we kind of turned to each other about a quarter of the way in. And we just said, are they doing is this like an 80s synth soundtrack to guys riding on horses off to battle? Like, what's going on? And it's so weird and so messed up and it doesn't work, but it kind of does. And I for that alone, this is kind of I've been kind of holding this number five spot just for this film. But also, too, I, I think the story is incredibly interesting. I think that the the production value, I don't know, we saw kind of a, it wasn't the best print. I don't know if there's been a good transfer of it lately, but we watched the one that was on Amazon uh, that you could rent. And um, I just don't know if that the transfer was kind of a little wonky. It wasn't the best picture you've ever seen. So 
I don't know if there's a better version out there, a Blu-ray or whatever, but um, the, and Rucker Howard and Michelle Pfeiffer as a couple, I never would have expected it, but I loved it. <laughs> like they're right. one of my favorite couples now, and I haven't stopped <laughs> thinking about them and you know changing the animals and then going back and how is it gonna work? I don't. It's it's I'm picking it just, I, and I think the score too. I have to say, like, it it took balls to do that. I mean, because it doesn't make sense. I don't think any medieval any medieval any fantasy movie should have this '80s score and soundtrack to it like it should be medieval <laughs> lord of the rings game like of they're writing into go. battle as knights yeah. and there's an 80s soundtrack <laughs> playing and you're like what is happening but at happening? the same time i'm like <laughs> I, i'm thinking i love 80s music and i love medieval <laughs> swords and horses wow them together like that. <laughs> you just have to go get the soundtrack for this and just play it in your car and drive around and just think you're cool. And you're exactly. Right. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah. <laughs> I haven't seen Lady Hawk in a long time, so I completely forgot about that synth score. But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. you're in my head now. Yeah. And the funniest thing is that it'll go into the medieval music a little bit, but then they'll come back out into the 80s, the yeah. 80s synth, and you're just like, <laughs> I hope they had some kind of plan here, or they're just randomly. Picking out and putting together. Yeah, yeah. Uh, or, yeah, I don't know. I just, based on its unique, uh, unique, uh, you know, I love a good unique film. I love films that are, there can only, I, I don't mean to quote Highlander, but there can only be one of them. <laughs> you know, there's no other Lady Hawk, in my opinion, you know. Um, so in that regard, it is my number five. Nice. Uh, did anyone else have anything to say about Lady Hawk before I move on? Have you seen it? I've, I've never seen it. Oh, it's it's fantastic. What it was. <laughs> it is. It is bizarre when it starts, but I, for and me, and Richard Donner, he directed it's a Richard it. Donner. Oh, yeah. Nice. yeah, it weirdly sucks you in. It's just sucks you in. It's a very likable movie. Yeah. Yeah. I enjoyed it. That's nice. Yeah, I, I definitely have to check that out. Yeah, that sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so my next pick, um, it falls on the medieval sides, less on the fantasy because it's more of a history thing. And that's the movie Kingdom of Heaven. Have you guys ever seen this? Yes. OK, um, this is one. It's one of the things that I loved about medieval times is the crusade era like i thought that was really cool and in terms of being like liking history it's one of those eras that i read a lot about so when they finally did a doing movies in that time period and saying they got it right quote unquote is kind of hard to tell sometimes but this is a movie that i felt that they really handled crusade warfare kind of correctly and really showed how intense it could be um i had a lot of fun watching this movie um in terms of the epic scope and all that stuff um and i thought like you know costuming and you know uh the props and like the battle sequences and just it really kind of blew my mind and it's one that really hung with me so it's one that's like if it's on tv i might stop and watch sections of it and that kind of thing um I don't know if you guys have seen it, but I just thought it was a fantastic movie. So, I, I have seen it. Yeah, but you're right though. Like, I, and I thought about revisiting it just to, and I didn't get to to do that because I, I was wondering if there was a fantasy element because you know it's yeah it's everything you said, and I just thought was there a fantasy? Well, it, when, I thought it was like more historical medieval than medieval fantasy. Right, and when Peter yeah, said it was. When Peter said medieval fantasy, I was like, well, that movie's directly medieval times. Mm -hmm. But I mean, like when I was looking up medieval fantasy movies, Braveheart came up on the list and I was like, well, that's more history than it is medieval fantasy. Like it just extra yeah. hot in terms of like a Google search. So I was like, I'm not even going to count that one. I'm just going to go and do my thing. But when Kingdom, when I saw Kingdom of Heaven, I was like, oh, yes, I love that movie. You know, so 
fun. Yeah, and that's what I had to do with some of the lists I was going through. You kind of do have to pick and choose and go, well, they're just throwing this on there. It's not. Right, you know? exactly. exactly. It's, it's, definitely a, it's definitely a niche, you know, of finding those medieval and fantasy. And, you know, I, right. yeah. That's what we discovered. Not, there's, it's a very fine line between medieval and medieval fantasy. That's what mm-hmm. we found when we were going through movies and just fantasy. You know, there was some that we yeah, watched. I'm yeah. like, ah, it's not medieval. This is more like fan. So right. there's a very fine line with medieval mm-hmm. fantasy, you Fa- know. Fantasy is an interesting genre, though, because I feel like if one fantastical thing happens in the movie, it's right. Awesome. Yeah, fantasy. exactly. Like, yeah. Want to see it? That's be good like, because yeah. for my number yeah. one, I'm going to use that as my okay, argument. Fair <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, Natalie, you're up. Oh, did you say yours? Um, so I matched with. Drew, oh, okay. Five, so yeah, you guys always match. No, but in terms of your <laughs> number five, was that your number five? Yes. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, uh, next in line would be Excalibur. Ah, yes. Uh, you know what? During it, I didn't. I liked it. I didn't know if I was really loving it, and it wasn't until the very end that I was like, "That was a fantastic movie." Like, and it stuck with me. It really sat with me. Um. I always loved the sword in the stone as a kid, the animated one. Um, but there's something, I don't know. There's something about that unlikely hero and that, you know, the fact that it's this kid that's abandoned that pulls the sword out the stone and he becomes King Arthur. There's something just so, I mean, fantasy, you know, it's that person who you don't expect to, to be the hero is the hero. And I don't know. I, I, felt like it really hit medieval fantasy so well. I mean, there's magic in it. There's sorcery in it. Uh, yeah, that was like, a, for me, that was an all-encompassing, perfect medieval fantasy film. Um, I've always been a big fan of the Arthurian lore and history anyway. Um, that's yeah, that's a fantastic pull in terms of a pick there. Uh, that movie's great, so I totally agree. Yeah. So- that you, Matt or Peter, have anything to say about it, or are you guys not seen that? Little, I have seen it. I, I have right. a little random thing about it. It made me really appreciate when it comes to not just medieval fantasy, but fantasy, fantasy films in general, the talent pool that these films bring to it. Mm-hmm. Because we were watching it, and we had to stop and reverse because it was my first time watching it. I had to stop and reverse it because I go, that was Liam Neeson. He's just an extra dancing in the background, <laughs> not knowing that he was a part of the, the Knights of the Round Table later on. So we right. actually talked like, awesome. oh, Liam Neeson is just a dancer in the background. Like, could you imagine? Like, how, how is that possible? And then um, Sir, what's his face comes up? I get drawn a blank. Xavier. Oh, uh, God. Oh, Patrick Stewart. Patrick Stewart. Patrick yeah. Stewart's in it. Um, and then it made me kind of realize, you know, you look at all the Harry Potter films, like the talent behind it, you know, Maggie Smith, Alec uh, Rickman, or uh, yeah, 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 Alec Rickman, yeah. um, you know, even the Lord of the Rings films, Viggo Mortensen, all of that, and Dragonheart, which I, I didn't mention, but David Thewlis plays the king. I mean, it's amazing. I always find it so incredible that these films, no matter how big or small, the actors that they have in it are like the best of the best. And that I think right. is, is just wondrous to me. Yeah. It's that thing where the best of the best have to come from somewhere kind of thing. You know and what they, I mean? And they don't mess around. Like when they're a knight, they're the best yeah. bloody knight you've ever seen in your right. life. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, uh, Matt, you're up. Uh, my number four is how to train your dragon. Um, I just, I have, 
very little to say. I mean, it's just it's Vikings, it's dragons, it's everything that I love. And I think the biggest thing for me in choosing this in my top five is that I this is one that we have watched recently and I just I had never seen it before. I realized that it was such a big franchise and there were sequels in this world and, you know, you would see the dragon and I don't know if the dragon I've only seen the first one. So I don't know if the dragon changes between one, two and three or how that all plays out. But um, I do intend on watching the rest. But I just I you know, I thought it was some animated film. It's probably overhyped a little bit. I you know, I don't mean to sound negative, but it's just one of those things where I'm not big into the animated world. So I skipped it at the time and Natalie and I were talking about it and she was like, well, we should watch it. And I just I loved it. I it was absolutely it was a great experience for me. So it's in my top five. <laughs> yeah, nice. And then did anyone else want to add? Well, I know we've already talked about the movie, essentially, but does anyone want to add anything to it or no? I think just, you know, with a movie like that, it's like this kid that doesn't fit in, you know, that ends right. up. It's really about you do you. You don't don't do what everybody else is doing because everybody else wants you to do that. You do you. And that's where you right. find your vein of gold, if you will, because we all have that vein of gold. And that's why everyone on this planet is so unique and so different. And I think that's what's the beauty of this film is this little kid has this vein of gold, yet he doesn't know why he's so different. And, to you know, by him just doing him, you know, he saves everybody. <laughs> it's yeah, yeah. brilliant. Yeah, and you changes know? the, the it, way they look at everything. It, exactly. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, Peter, you're up, man. Yeah, so, okay, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to save my blatant cheat, and I'm going to go with one we've already talked about, which is The Army of Darkness. Um, I love the Evil Dead trilogy, um, and this movie is awesome. And yes, there is short sequences at the beginning and the end that take place in modern day, but the rest of the movie is straight medieval fantasy, and uh, I just love the humor in it and all the creatures and, like, it's easy to think of the sort of Jason and the Argonauts-esque, you know, skeleton battle scene mm. at the end. But there's so many other good creatures in it, especially the creatures in the uh, pit fight sequence. Like, those are probably my favorite. Um, but, yeah, it's just a great, great movie. So we've talked about it on the podcast a lot before. I don't know if anybody else has anything to say. But, yeah, Army of Darkness. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, so mine, I this... All right. So it's not a cheat because it covers it's got the it's got some fantasy. It's just light fantasy. But it's uh, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, uh, the Kevin Costner Robin Hood. Um, this is when it comes to Robin Hood. It's that's always a story I've really liked. But that specific version of Robin Hood, I really think, is probably one of the best versions, at least tellings of that character. Um, in terms of authenticity, that is um, when I look at, yeah, the Errol Flynn ones are cool and they have some great fight scenes. But when you look at. I, I don't want to say modernizing it, but bringing it into the new film era, I guess you could say it's like one of the best. Um, the Russell Crowe one, I didn't really like, you know, there's there's been attempts at doing Robin Hood in different ways that I don't think have worked the same way. Like this was like I just everything about this movie just felt authentic from top to bottom. Um and then you throw in the fantasy element with the the witches and the um, the Celts that, you know, because the Brian brings up the cannibals or whatever. And, you know, like there's elements of it that have some mystical aspect. And then you have your standard just medieval adventure that you go on. So. Um, but, yeah, I don't know if anyone has anything to say about this, but I just love this movie. So 
Um, I think it's a really good movie. It was on Netflix, um, I want to say a couple months ago. So I rewatched it because um, I hadn't watched it since I was a kid. And I was actually surpri- surprised by how action packed it is. Like, I feel like every other scene is like an awesome, like action fight scene. So it's really enjoyable from that um, level. But also just I agree with everything, you know, your assessment of it, Drew. So what I forget. So I watched that when I remember I watched it when I was 13. What is there fantasy in it? Well, because uh, Prince Nottingham deals with that witch that uses all of her magic that kind of gives him the foresight to do certain things. And she tells and she's kind of like his. Yeah, this is the Alan Rickman character, right? Yeah. Yeah. OK. Uh, he, he yeah. Can, I vaguely remember that. Yeah, yeah, with yeah. The witch and she uses her magic and stuff like that to kind of kind of direct him in certain ways. So it's very light fantasy, but it's still okay. there. Uh, it's primarily more medieval times than anything else, but yeah, yeah. But it is like that world. The medieval world is very ingrained with these magical elements. Whether it whether it happened that way or not, was, I just listen, I feel it like was they're. All, it was all. I mean, they were burning witches at the stake yeah. back then. You know. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. It was all encompassing. Yeah, but yeah. it also it made me think of revisiting like Orson Welles's Macbeth, and I'm like, this technically could be yes, fantasy because of the witches, you know. Yeah. And there's definitely right. evil. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Then they had that. They had the great uh, witch. And if you watch Robin Hood Men in Tights, they even parodied the witch in that movie as well, um, with Tracy Ullman playing that character. <laughs> so you know, um. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> I believe her name was Latrine. It was. <laughs> <remember that. laughs> Um, because they changed it to yeah. um, <laughs> that's funny. Um, that being said, uh, Natalie, your pick, your turn. So, my number three is Dragonheart. Oh, yes, uh, Dragonheart. Obviously, Sean Connery is my homeboy, he's from my hometown. <laughs> His nephew, Jason Connery, used to drink in my mom and dad's pub, so we <laughs> like the Conneries. Um, it was an interesting pick, I believe, for his voice to be the dragon, because even though, yes, he's Scottish, he doesn't have the type of voice that you would ex- or what I would expect a dragon to sound like. You know, I mean, I think we all kind of have those ideas of maybe what a dragon might sound like. He, It just was very, it was very interesting that they used him. I thought it was such a great story. It's, really, it's just heart. It just has so much heart. But also at the end of the day, it's not the ending, you know, the fact that he has a split heart with the the king, you know, so they both have to, well, spoilers, they both have to die, you know, that's not usually, usually it's like the bad guys die and the good, the good ones don't, you know. So I just thought the ending was just very unique and, and it came across as very real for me, you know, and again, that was before CGI. Um, I just was such a, I thought it was a beautiful movie and just really has a lot of heart. I saw Dragonheart in the theater, so I totally feel for you on this one. I totally understand like literally all your points and I, I can't disagree with anything you said. Like, it's just, it was such, it really is such a beautiful movie. And yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't expecting to enjoy the movie as much as I did when I went and saw it. I was just kind of like, this movie looks cool. Let's go see it. And, you know, um, and Dennis Quaid was awesome. Like, he's not one that I would have picked for a night anyway in that movie. Like, I wouldn't have picked him in that role, unfortunately. And then, like, you see the movie and you're like, yeah, why not? Of course, Dennis Quaid's his character. <laughs> yeah, you know yeah. I mean? so yeah. It just kind of all works. So. Yeah. yeah. And again, David Thewlis is king. 
brilliant yeah. yeah he's one of my favorite i think he's one of the best actors of all time so it's anytime i see him in anything it's <laughs> it's, it's a joy <laughs> yeah right on uh matt it's your turn uh I, we're number three right this is yep. uh, my number three is willow um it's just I, I don't know how else to put i mean it's just i don't know what i could say to do the movie justice really i i think it was it was great but it not to get on a George Lucas thing, but it gave me such an because it's a story by George Lucas, so it gave me this whole. It just made me realize like how brilliant George Lucas really is, you know. Regardless of what you think of his directing, but him as a storyteller, his mind just works in these. When it comes to good versus evil, I mean, he just he gets it, he nails it, he gets it, he gets it done, and you know, Ron Howard directs it. I think Val Kilmer is absolutely. He's just a joy. I think this is one of my one of the funnest roles that he's ever done for 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 an audience to watch. And I don't, again, it's that it's that story of going against all odds, and you know, it's that classic fantasy story. And I do believe it's set in a medieval. I mean, you have knights, you have horses, you have a mm-hmm. king, you have you have all of that. So I definitely think it qualifies. Um, and again, I just, I, George Lucas, I think is, he is such a brilliant storyteller. You know, I, I don't, I'm, don't know how it would have went down if he directed it, how different it would have been, but just his story alone, I think that's what he's best for. He has these brilliant stories and, and the right hands, they just blossom into these incredible pieces of uh, cinema. Mm-hmm. I was I was saving this one to the end, Matt, but I matched you on Willow on this one. I, I oh, matched yeah. as well. This was going to my second to last one but yeah we definitely love oh wait when you say match it's not numbers it's just matched in oh it's just i was i was like i like to save the the one i want to talk about the most i always save to the end and i like we don't put them in any particular order but it's like the one i want to talk about the most i always save to the end but so we just matched in our picks like we both picked the movie is my point um so and this is I, I've watched this movie so many times and, you know, I hadn't watched it in a while and then it landed on Disney Plus and I'm like, sweet, we're going to watch this movie. And it just still holds up, man. Yeah. Like even yeah. the even the practical effects like that dragon in the movie is not the best puppeteered dragon, but it holds up and it looks fantastic. You know, right. um, there's so much of that movie just. You're, you're right about George Lucas's. um genius in the storytelling and you know we praise lucas here on the show just because peter and i are both star wars fans and i try and you know he got a bad he he got a bunch of like bad press i guess you could say from like the internet because of the way people reacted to certain parts of the star wars franchise but you got to really look at that storytelling there's a real genius there and it doesn't matter what project he's working on there's a genius to it there's something there's something he's got in his eye that like he sees it and he knows what it is and it's that it's the mentality of I'm right and I'm going to sink with the ship to prove to you that I'm right. And I'm just going to like put it out there because this is the story I'm trying to tell. And I think that's what a real storyteller needs to have. You need to have that ability to, you know, go out there and say, I'm right. And I'm going to sink with the ship to prove it, you know? So, and you need to know what you're talking about too, because George Lucas, he's done his research. You know, you pull, I've gotten very big into Vikings in this past year in 2020. I guess that was my go-to thing. And to see, I forgot what it was, a village or something, and it's called Hoth. And immediately I'm like, this is where George Lee's got it. I thought he came out (laughs) on his own. That's awesome. But, you know, he knows what he's doing. And I I know you guys talk about the the franchise a lot and all that. But, you know, one of the things I thought was lacking in the last three was that 
you know, he had rules and he had Lucas had continuity and he he's he has these worlds that he's that he builds and, he and had, everything uh, works within them. There's no random. Oh, and just by the way, you know, we're going to have you float through space. You know, it's and I feel like he had he always has an outline for things and it's almost like he could see and I'm kind of projecting my idea of George Lucas out here. But I feel like he if he gave his outline to somebody else of how those movies were supposed to go, nobody could execute it in the same way because they don't understand the intricacies of how all the pieces of the story flow together, if that makes sense, you know? And uh, I mean, we've talked a ton about the prequels on the show and how like in Revenge of the Sith, there's a lot of really hidden sort of intricacies in that movie that people don't realize. And I feel like George Lucas had has all that stuff in mind where, like you said, you hand the franchise off to somewhere else, somebody else, and there is something that's missing there a little bit. Yeah. And, uh, yeah He's I, done his homework, and I think that's important, and I think that's what a lot of people, directors, writers, whatever, then even musicians, they don't, they don't study, they don't learn from the greats, and then George Lucas definitely, you know, you listen to him talk, you read about, you read his interviews, uh, whatever, his quotes, anything, he's, he knows what he's, he takes the mythologies that have come before and makes them his own. You know, he takes his favorite bits of Japanese cinema and turns them into droids. And it's, you know, two of the most iconic characters in the world. He just, he knows what he's doing and it's, it's beautiful, but it's, it's tragic at the same time what's happened to him. But again, channeling this all back to Willow and why it's my pick is that it's definitely, you can tell it's his world, regardless of who directed it, who actually wrote it. Mm-hmm. It's his story and it's his creation. And I just, watching it, it made me just realize how brilliant he really is. And he does not, I, in my opinion, doesn't get enough credit for it. You know, I believe that's been tarnished over the years. And Well, it's one always- of the things I always wondered about Willow, and I've always, I always kind of wanted to know what the backstory was, but uh, one of the early drafts of Star Wars, Luke Skywalker was supposed to be a little person. And I wonder if when they decided to not make him a little person, George is like, well, I'm just going to put this character in my back pocket because I might have another idea for it. You know what I mean? Like, it's always always made me wonder if that was how that inception came to be. Um, I don't know if Peter ever told you, but I got a chance to meet Warwick Davis. Um, He was an absolute um, he was so gracious with his time, an absolute wonderful person to talk to the little bit that I got to sit with him. So, um, and not yeah, to mention yeah. the baby is a fantastic actor. Yeah. Oh yeah. That baby was yeah. it's like unbelievable. They have reaction shots from the baby. I'm like, <laughs> right. yeah, how, how did you do that? <laughs> right. Yeah. And Val Kilmer's um, fantastic. Yeah, at he's so much fun. Yeah. I know. I can't, I, and I, you guys know about the Willow TV show that's coming, right? Yeah. I believe I saw something about it. Yeah. yeah I don't know much. It's, uh, Warwick Davis is coming back. I don't know. Wow. wow. I don't know much more than that, other than the fact that it will be on Disney Plus. So, um, is it a movie or a series? It's going to be a series. Okay. Yeah, it could be a one season series. Who knows? But I was just excited for more Willow. Wow. <laughs> so, uh, wow. One thing I wanted to throw in because I feel like everybody said so much about Willow, it's kind of hard to know what to add on. But when uh, Matt was talking about uh, the, you know, does this count as a medieval fantasy because it's in kind of like a different world, I would say, you know, but the thing is like, I was, it just made me start thinking about the world building in this movie and the sets and stuff. And I was just thinking about how, like at the beginning, the Nelwyn village kind of looks like it kind of looks how I imagine a medieval village would look because everything's so primitive and when they go to the the tavern scene which 
as much fun as that scene is, I think the set, it was the set design was really smart and it just has this really authentic feel that even though it's in this crazy fantasy world with all these crazy creatures and stuff, I feel like it feels grounded too because of how believable the landscape and the sets were, if that makes yeah. sense. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, look, medieval fantasy, Lord of the Rings doesn't take place on our, on our, yeah, exactly. Earth. You yeah. know, it's, I think it's more about the world that you've created right. for the film. Yeah. Right. Um, well, Natalie, it's actually, I'm going to throw this back to you because otherwise we could be talking about Willow for the rest of the night. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what do you got? Because because I matched with Matt and Peter matched, that just literally throws it right back to you. So. Well, Willow was on my list, actually. Willow oh. was on my list. Oh, nice. Yes. We all matched. Yes. Awesome. <laughs> we all matched on that one. Uh, yeah. big, big blow to Willow there. Did you have anything you want to add to Willow before I turn it back over to Matt because it's going to be his pick next? <laughs> no, I, I think we pretty much covered Willow. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, Matt, I guess it's your turn then. Um, well, I guess this was a match from pre. Um, my number two is Excalibur. Um, I, it just, when we were watching it, I just, the, it became the, the bar for me and the medieval fantasy films that we, you know, that I was considering on putting on the list and the ones we had watched and revisited. And Excalibur for me, I just, it just, it was not on the level of Lord of the Rings, but it's just that notch maybe below. Like maybe if Excalibur had been made during the time of Lord of the Rings, we would have got this huge, grandiose, bigger. I don't know, but it's it's perfect in its own right, I think. And it's perfect for that time. And just mm -hmm. you look at the other medieval fantasy films around that time period. I believe it was the 80s. And it just it stands out to me, you know, not just from the cast, not just from the design, but just overall, I just, I think everything works beautifully in it. I mean, you have that iconic score that gets, you know, parodied and everything now, but um, it's just, yeah, it raised the bar for what we, for what I was considering for this list. And there's only one film that comes above it for me. And in, in, in this realm, besides Lord of the Rings, that comes above it. And it could be a, <laughs> Kind of a disputing thing, but I, we, I didn't know we were allowed cheats and all this. <laughs> I look forward to finding out what that is in a moment. Uh, Peter, this brings it back to you, and then it's going to be last picks for everybody. Yeah. Um, so my next pick is going to be Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Uh, <laughs> kind of a, obviously a silly pick. You know, it's total comedy movie, but this there's so many fantasy elements when it comes to like Tim the Enchanter and different sort of magical creatures. And then when you look at the animation segments between parts of the story, like there's so many fantasy uh, creatures in there as well. But this is just a movie. Drew, we've talked about this movie before. You and I grew up, grew up with this and it's something that uh, it's just so funny and it's so good and I can watch it over and over again. Um, I was actually thinking about this movie earlier today. And there was one time growing up where my brothers and I were watching this movie and we were laughing at the movie, but nothing funny was happening. It was just a scene where it shows them all like marching off to, you know, somewhere else, gall galloping somewhere. But we were laughing because we were ahead of the movie. We were thinking of what there was to come and we were cracking up for no reason. And that's one of my favorite things in a comedy and not a lot of uh, comedies can do that. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, Peter, you and I matched on this one. So that was my final, like I was going to say Willow for my final pick, but Monty Python ends up being my final pick of the night. So, um, uh, yeah, no, this, this movie, 
<laughs> I have always have you guys ever seen Spam a lot? Yeah. Okay, I have always wanted to see that because of my love for this film. I've never gotten a chance to see Spam a lot, but because I had read a long time ago that this movie was predicated on like I guess it was like two sketches that they did, and then someone's like, "You should make it a bigger movie," and it became this like mm-hmm. overarching story. So if you start the movie, there's those there's a series of like just them traveling through like the bring out your dead scene and like the who lives in that castle and then like the like there are all these mini sketches that eventually spawned into the tale of them searching for the. Um, uh, the Holy Grail itself and just having those tiny little like funny bits uh, line up. And some of those like sketches at the beginning are my favorite parts of the movie. Like people laugh at the bring out your dead day, but I love that scene when he walks up on the woman, like um, do whatever she's doing in the dirt. And they're like arguing about politics and how their government works. Yeah. And like, how are you a king? Cause how we didn't get to vote for you. Like that scene is just his to listen to them like just rant and rant and rant and he's like getting more annoyed at him um but there's just some there's some brilliance in the writing too and i just i've always liked this movie so um i don't know if anyone else has to add anything to that but peter you and i matched on that so no it's, it's a brilliant film um and i did consider it i you know i heavily did but for me also i kind of went in a more serious because you know that there's this whole other part, you know, like you said, your highness, there's this whole other comedic aspect to it. Yeah. And I, I, for me personally, I decided to narrow mine down to straightforward, serious, you know, maybe the darker, the better medieval mm-hmm. fantasy. But I did think about, you know, Monty Python and it definitely is a, a medieval fantasy and it's, yeah. it's absolutely brilliant. Yeah. So, I mean, what you said, Drew, where you, you know, you said, with Princess Bride, where you hear quotes or people doing things that are in line with that film, like you still see that to this day in random right. you know, footings. So it's <laughs> it's a testament now, to the film. Yeah. Last uh, last Comic Con that I went to, uh, so uh, right before COVID shut the world down, I got to go to C2E2 in Chicago and I did press for the podcast. And as I'm walking around, there was a lot of Monty Python and the Holy Grail cosplay going on. And it was brilliant because not only was the guy dressed as King Arthur, but he had the guy dressed as Patsy walking around clicking the coconuts behind him as he walked. It was hysterical. Like, they were really committed. And I was just impressed. So, um, yeah, it was just really good time. So um, this throws back to you, Natalie, for your final pick of the night. It would be Dark Crystal. Oh, yes. Uh, I actually saw it when I was a kid, like, many moons ago. And then we watched it again. And obviously, like you have for Princess Bride, it definitely has that nostalgia for me because I know it as a, when I was a child. But it was, there, so I know it's like Jim Henson, but it's still, I don't know. There was something, to, something so magical about it um, and kind of scary too. Like they're, you know, sucking the souls out of these young children AKA the puppets, <laughs> you know, it's like they, they need their essence to stay alive. There was something like dark, but it's called dark crystal, but there's also, you know, that complete fantastical side to it again, where it's this young kid, this young boy that's going to save them all, you know? And I thought they did a tremendous job with it. Excellent job with the puppets. The characters are great. Um, I just, for me, it's, you know, and it's definitely set in that very specific world, but I thought that was the perfect kind of medieval fantasy. 
um, where you're not in, you're not in human earth anymore. You know, you're really taken to this, this other fantastical place. And, you know, with a good movie, that's what I want. Right. And that's, and the dark crystal, um, I, uh, I actually revisited because they did the show. Was it Netflix that did the show? Yeah. Yeah. Like, um, I, uh, I was really like, kind of excited for the show to come but the um but when i found out uh netflix was doing it i revisited the movie and it's as a kid i always liked labyrinth better but i think as an adult it was more the understanding like going back as an adult and watching dark crystal it resonated with me way more than i was a kid like i totally understood what was going on yeah you know so um uh yeah, I, I don't. I felt the same because when I was a kid, I don't think I really understood it when I was a kid. But watching it as a grown up, uh, completely ch- it changed it for me. I was like, "This is a really well done film, really well right. done." Film. Right, it is, and I and I really appreciated when they did when I got to the show. I was re- I was really appreciative of the fact that they stuck with those practical effects with the puppets and tried to make it look as authentic as possible. Because you look back at those, you you just go back to those original puppets. Um, you know, I know people who don't understand how the Muppets work, and I think it's hysterical. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like certain, certain puppetry stuff, it really makes me laugh. Yeah. Uh, because it's such brilliant work, if you will. So. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. hard, very hard to do. Yes, it is. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Peter, Matt, did you have anything on? I just Dark Crystal. I, I, I love it, but I don't consider it to be medieval fantasy. This, this, was, I don't. This was, oh yeah, that, uh, this could be a fine line. Yeah, I, I was, I was on the fence with this one too, but I love the film and uh, just everything Natalie was saying about the craft of this film is so true because of how well they created a world that felt so alien, like it felt mm-hmm. like nothing you've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Um, I was going to ask Natalie, did you? I don't know if you've ever heard, but originally like the Skeksis the villains of the mm-hmm. movie they didn't want them to speak English like the idea was they were just going to make noise and through their actions you were going to understand what was going on and there's a clip on YouTube of footage where it's the Skeksis just making weird noise but no <laughs> subtitles or anything and it is fascinating to watch because it feels like a television show made from aliens. Like it feels like you're watching something from an alien planet. It's yeah. just such a crazy concept. And it's, it's interesting. Cause I think Jim Henson wanted to do stuff like weird, even weirder stuff than what we got. But the studio is probably like, no, they have to speak English. Like nobody's. See, I, like I this, think that know? that would have worked because you got by their appearance and their actions, you got that they were bad characters. You got it. You know, you mm-hmm. don't, you know, it's like the dentist doesn't have to tell you when he hits the nerve. You, you there's such <laughs> yeah, a thing absolutely. as fear. You can just tell. You feel it. Mm-hmm. So I think they probably would have been able to get away with that. Yeah. But again, studio. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Um, all right. So Matthew, your final pick of the night. My final pick is. I'm all curious to what it is. You've, I feel like you've been hoarding, hoarding it over us yeah. a little bit. Because I, I, I don't know. I don't know how it's going to be taken. Um, so. And I don't know if who've seen it. Um, my number one medieval fantasy pick is actually a film that I came across because I back in high school I was looking for fantasy films to watch after Lord of the Rings, and this is a film that came up on the list, and I had no idea what it was. I couldn't find it anywhere. I asked everybody around me because I worked at Crow's Nest in, in Crest Hill at the CD store. Okay. 
I was like, have you heard of this film? Can we order this film? And they were like, we don't know what you're talking about. It's to me, one of the greatest films ever made the seventh seal by Ingmar Bergman. Wow. Um, I've, I've seen it. So, yeah. So, you know, <laughs> um, you know, I, I gave it a rewatch before doing this just to kind of see, cause I thought I was actually more worried about it being too, not enough medieval for this medieval fantasy thing. And, Watching it, I realize is a lot more medievalness than fantasy, but I think it is what Peter said. Like, there's that ounce, that ounce of uh, the the ounce of fantasy yeah. where he's playing chess against death, with which isn't a real thing. Like, that's not yeah. possible, and that's the fantastic element to it. But I do believe that with this film, there's a surface of fantasy. But underneath it, it's the realism. So you have these two layers. And whether it was intended by Bergman or not, it's there. And there's always this looming, fantastic evil throughout the entire film, whether it's moments in the score or certain even shots composed uh, to convey an emotion. There, it's definitely fantasy. You know, and I, I do look at lists that it's on. And it does kind of like that. This was my intro into international cinema. I saw it on this fantasy list. And I just, I had to see what this was. And I finally found a Criterion version of it um, when I discovered the Criterion Collection. And I, after that, I was down this enormous, this different rabbit hole of, of international cinema. But it's, to me, it is fantasy. It is definitely medieval. Again, I was more worried about that, but I was like, oh, it's really medieval. <laughs> I don't know yeah. what I was thinking before, but um, I'm curious on what your take on this is, uh, Andy. Well, this is uh, I totally agree with you uh, literally on all your points. Um, I don't know if I'd say it's the greatest movie ever made, but I do. One of, uh, one, of I, one of it's not the greatest. <laughs> I do agree with you on a lot of your points. Um, the uh, I do think one of the things I wanted to point out was you mentioned the score um, in terms of the threat of like the threat of evil always being there. Um, there's a musical piece called Dearest Irae. I believe I pronounced that correct. And it's a musical oh, piece yeah. that was uh, written specifically to let the audience know when the devil is present on screen mm. and when you watch movies and it's a piece of music that's still being used today, they actually used it in star Wars rogue one. That's the most recent film I noticed it in. Um, but it's a piece that's used when the bad guy or the main villain or the, the devil as you will is on screen or like about to be seen or about to do something horrible. It's the piece of music that's plays um, and it's threaded throughout, and a lot of composers uh, sprinkle it in where they feel they need to. And I actually think that might be the movie. Um, I'd have to look it up, but I believe that's the movie where that originated from. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, I don't know. I just when you brought up the score, I like I really get into composers, and I listen to a lot of instrumental music myself. Like when I'm driving around in the car. Like so, when you mentioned the '80s synth score, I was like, hmm, I haven't listened to one of those in the car. <laughs> but. Um, I really like listening to like instrumental music and stuff when I'm driving around. Um, and that's so listening to these composers and, you know, bringing that kind of stuff up, you know, so. Um, but yeah, I, Seventh Seal is a movie. I haven't watched it in a long time, but I loved this movie. And the same thing like you is I, I literally just saw the scene with the playing chess with death. You know what I mean? Like, and mm-hmm. I didn't understand what that was about. That's what drew me to that movie. Um, so. And it's funny because that's the scene no matter how many times I've seen this film, that's the scene I always remember. And then there's these other scenes where I go, Oh yeah, this happens. Oh, I forgot about this. Like right. no matter how many, you like, that's the centerpiece of it. I think that actually it's funny because they only play, they talk about the the plot of this film as being a knight plays against chess for his life. And 
guess I think there's idea. five scenes where they actually are playing chess, but it's more, it, but you look at everything that the film encompasses, everybody's a piece in this game, everybody's having a part, and in the end, you know, what happens, right. happens and it's just, I, yeah, it's... It's brilliant. Yeah. yeah, Peter, Natalie, have you guys seen this movie? Yes, I've seen it okay. a couple of times actually. Um, I've seen it on the big screen. Um, the Egyptian Theater in Hollywood do a lot of the. They do different retrospectives, and they did um, Bergman, a week of all his movies. And Matt and I went to see. We went to a lot of them actually. Yeah. Well, for his 100th birthday was last. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Last year or the year before. So they yeah. did that, and I watched it for the first time on the big screen, and then rewatched it again. Um. I, I love this movie too. It's it was very hard for me to watch this and then watch <laughs> go back to We did a double feature with this in Solomon King. Oh. <laughs> and then we found that Max von Sydow is not only is in, in Solomon King. He's the king in Solomon Kane. So we just watched right. him as a young man in mm. Seven Seal and then watched him like twenty minutes later in Solomon Kane. Um no, I think the movie's brilliant. I I actually liked it more the second time. Um, there's there's so much that happens in it, and the journey that this guy goes on, like I mean, it's very very real. You know, it's like a lot of people are pushing death away. You know, there's a lot of people suffering on the planet that don't want to face death. They don't want that. You know, and so to take that element and put it in a film, but then make it a chess match. Is quite yeah. brilliant. And to you make know? death real. Yeah, like, and death is like there with you. showing up, like I'm here for you, and you know, <laughs> people not wanting to look at that. And so you choose to play death death uh, chess with him, I think is excellent. Um I love there's again the artistry in this film. There were certain scenes that I've said to Matt, I'm like, that just looks like a painting. Like that's such a beautiful, like it just looks like a painting, and then suddenly it comes alive. Um, and I, I find that throughout that movie. Um, nice. yeah. And we have to give a shout out to Bill and Ted, too. Because yeah, I know. I mean, if, you have, if you're listening to this and you haven't seen Seven Seal and you've seen Bogus Journey, there's yeah. that. And... So, so I haven't seen this movie, but as soon as you said that, it made me think of the Bill and Ted thing. That's hilarious. Yeah, that's... To be honest, the first time I've ever heard of this movie was yesterday or the day before, and it's because I was preparing for our podcast tonight and I saw this wow. and it was like one of the greatest medieval fantasy movies and I had wow. no idea what it was but I thought that just from the screenshot they showed I was like that looks really interesting and I mean it, it just went to a part of my mind and I probably would have forgotten about about it but everything that you all have said I'm kind of sold on it so as soon as I have the chance I'm definitely going to watch this one but yeah yeah it's a great movie well Peter what's your final pick of the evening so my final pick is probably my most blatant cheat, but I went with the movie Labyrinth. And this oh. is a movie that, here's the thing, here's the thing, because I know you could really easily roll your eyes, but the beginning of this movie, Sarah is in modern times, right? And then she's transported in the, into the labyrinth, and every single thing in the labyrinth would fit into a medieval fantasy landscape. Yeah. There's very light <laughs> technology Except like for her. there's there there might be a there might be a cannon um i believe there's like kind of a steampunky robot but that's about it but everything else i was cuz when i was preparing my list i was like this counts as much as uh, army of darkness but i know it also doesn't count and it's a cheat so i i understand that but 
that's just my defense. I was actually going to mention Labyrinth much further up on my list, but I kept matching with people. So it's kind of forced <laughs> to the end. But uh, this is just another movie that I had to bring it up because I love the puppetry. I love the story. It's just one of my favorite movies of all time. And it's one of those it's one of those movies that when I just see it because of the craft that goes into it and how uh, it's presented, it just brings a smile to my face. And I just feel like true happiness and inspiration as I watch this film. So I just had to mention it and sorry for the cheat. I guess. No, it's all good. And I don't have much to say about it because Peter, you and I have talked heavily about the labyrinth in the past. So I don't yeah, know. if, uh, Yeah. Like I, I love this movie. It's, it's a, between that and Dark Crystal, I always feel like I like Labyrinth better, and maybe it's because I like the adventure a little bit more. Um, but, you know, the, the the medieval and the fantasies there and, you know, that kind of stuff. So I totally hear you as to why you grabbed it. But, Natalie, Matt, do you guys have anything to add to that? Or I do have to say, so Labyrinth is one of my all-time favorite movies. Oh, I've yeah? watched nice. it my entire life, but I kept it off the list because mm -hmm. I was like, <laughs> it's Sarah, it's modern day, she's rehearsing mm -hmm. lines for a play. Like she. So for me, I didn't put it on the list. But it is, in general, one of my... It was one of the first movies I ever watched. I had it on VHS when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. um, I always, you know, all the characters she meets along the way. It was just... I, I, I grown up in Scotland, I had a, a very... It's very similar to... Like, it's just very magical there. There's, you know, we have forests and it's just, there's something very magical about it. And I always felt like I was Sarah when I was growing up there. And, and I, you know, I wanted to meet the fairies and mm -hmm. all these little characters. Um, and my mom was a big David Bowie fan. So that helped. Sure. Um, yeah. Yeah. Right on. Yeah. Well, that kind of <laughs> brings us to the end of the list. Uh, so that kind of almost brings us to the end of the night, Peter. Um, so do you want to know what we're going to do next week? Yeah, absolutely. All right. So, Peter, since you and I are probably going to be back to just you and me next week, we're and we are on the basically real close to the brink of the Snyder Cut releasing and you and I both read comic books. Um, let's talk about our favorite Justice League stories. OK, so whether that's comic books or cartoons or if there's, you know, like wherever you pull it from, like Justice League story arcs. So um, because then I have a feeling we're going to be talking, you know, the Snyder Cut's going to come out. We're going to have to dedicate a whole show to it, basically. Um, so uh, that's what we're going to do next week. Cool? Yeah, absolutely. All that's right. a um, topic for sure. Matt, Natalie, thank you guys so much for joining us this evening. Oh, my uh, pleasure. Where, Matt, where can, we, where can we find your guys' work, whether it's, Matt, your movies, Natalie, where we can find you? Is there anything you guys want us to, like, how can people find you? Like, is there anything you're working on that you guys want to talk about specifically before we close out the night? Um, I've got a new movie that, the one that we're in post-production right now called Searching. That will be the next film coming out. Um, so, yeah, I guess just look for Searching. Is that, is that going to get theater release or is that a streaming thing where people can find it? I'm not too sure. We're hoping for okay. those. Hopefully. Okay, nice. It just, who knows what's going to happen with cinemas. So, right. Well, uh, in, a world of, in a world of Netflix and like the way they're pumping stuff yeah, out, I don't know if this was like a straight yeah. to streaming situation or something like yeah, this. Yeah, I mean, we would love theatrical, but, you know, cinemas are still shot and we just don't know what's happening with that. So it will definitely be on a streaming service. Perfect. Um, yeah. Matt, what about you? My my two films, Cannibal Collector and Five Piece, can both be found on Amazon Prime. They're also available on Tubi. Uh, okay. um, that's with the adverts and all that. But they're free. I think that service is free. Um, yeah. You can watch it on there. Um, I'm also in post production with the film, and that's called right now. It's called Antoy Siege, which is Scottish Gaelic for the beginning. 
Um, Gaelic. I, I, yeah, Gaelic. Um, Americans I, always say Gaelic, Gaelic and it's yeah. actually Gaelic. Well, it's the, the school <laughs> All right. Well, <laughs> um, but so I've been posting that right now and it's definitely turning into, it was a film starting out of just desperation to create something during COVID. Um, I came home really depressed one day and I just kind of thought I can't live in a world where I can't make a film. And then I actually thought about, I don't know how familiar you are with, with black metal and extreme metal, but Burzum uh, with Varg, who ended up in jail and was still making albums. I thought, you know, nothing stopped him. So, <laughs> you, know, in prison. I, you know, I'm not in prison for killing a band member, burning churches, but, you know, I, I thought I have this, I have a camera at the very least. We can always use an iPhone. I have, you know, I'm married to an actress, Natalie. Let's just start shooting something in our apartment. It will just be starring her under these conditions of, of being locked down and let's see what happens. And it actually took us on this journey up into Northern California, filming stuff along the way, coming with ideas. I've never, ever worked this way where there was essentially no script. And I was just telling Natalie, go do this, go do that. Um, you and know? then you would have other actors film their scenes. We would meet and other people on our, and... on our journeys out. Yeah. And I would say, oh, do you want to be in this scene? We need a, we need a, a check-in person or a, a, a clerk or something. Yeah. They, we actually uh, a shout out to Kernville because we ended up shooting in Kernville uh, half of the film and they were just so nice and so willing to help out. And it's it's definitely a film that I never thought I'd make and it's turned into something that I can't believe I made. <laughs> but it's, it's unique in its own right. And, you know, I, I do believe that we should be making films that are a reflection of a, the sign of our times. And I, I like having these little chapters, you know, like the man who collected food. I can look back at that time in 2010, 2008, and I watched the film and I, I, I'm immediately transported back to that time. And I know what I was feeling at that time and what I was thinking. And it's, it's interesting, you know, it, there, there are definitely timestamps on. Yeah. Well, when Peter and I launched this podcast and we were like, actually like going like beyond the standard, like, cause a lot of podcasts die after a certain amount of episodes. When Peter and I realized we were in it for the long haul, it just, it kind of lit a fire under my ass. Like, Hey, we made a thing, you know what I mean? And it just got those creative juices flowing and it got me working on some stuff. I know I got Peter working on some stuff. So I totally understand what you're saying there. And that's, that's awesome. Um, you guys, Oh, sorry. I think this new, uh, like, lockdown film you're working on i only say that because i can't remember what the name was but uh it sounds so like it's like such a fun film to make and like please make a director's commentary because like i'm interested in the film but i also want to know all the stories behind it i let natalie like do that. the commentary I don't know. um <laughs> i also want to say and like not to derail us too much but we didn't talk a ton about five piece so i didn't know if you wanted to talk like briefly about the plot and stuff like that because i think it definitely is a really awesome film that i think our listeners would definitely be into yeah some of the stuff in it you know yeah you know it's you know the movie split it's the exact opposite <laughs> of it <laughs> um all right. in, in all seriousness it's you know it, it follows this man he has dissociative identity disorder and he's in a, a band and they're preparing for battle of the bands this life-changing contest in la um, a little bit mystical, a little bit fantastical, um, to kind of keep with the theme of the night and, um, like hard to believe almost that they get this grand prize of a million dollars and this record contract and, and all the good stuff. And it's him throughout the film dealing with li living with these, uh, four other personalities and how that's kind of been his struggle and his journey and being this very gifted musician who can't seem to break out and have his moment. And, um, 
it's shot all in long takes. We we definitely play with time in this one, where it's it's, it's definitely uh, Andy. It's not manicolected food either. You know, it's a completely right. different realm where it's you know it's not in that world, um, which I, I I love. I think as a filmmaker, I think we should be reinventing ourselves and and stepping outside of our our comfort zones. And you definitely get that with five piece and. It's just I I don't know what else to say about it except we honestly if anybody is listening that has dissociative identity disorder or know people with it we tried our absolute best to get it as real as possible so in that regard not being like split where the man is taking on you know I think he, I never saw the film but I guess he gains superpowers or he turns into a beast or right. or did, something yeah. like that and but this is more you know the change. Uh, I'm talking to you like people can see me, but, uh, all good. Like, <laughs> um, you know, all all good. The, no, I'm engaged. So <laughs> all the changes in, the, in, in his personality, you know, when he shifts alters, it's all in the eyes, you know, he's not going and putting on a dress to say, Oh, I'm the female character now. Right. You have to be watching. You have to be paying attention. Thinking back to Split, that was kind of ridiculous. Yeah, that's, that's what I've heard. I mean, I, yeah. we did talk to during it cause Matt did a ton of research on it and he, you know, talked with a lot of people with DID and things like that. And several of them had said, like, they were really angry at that movie. And they said, yeah. it's portraying us like we're monsters and we're not. And we're it people, harms their you know? community. It harms their yeah. community. So he really wanted to do a real take on someone who really does struggle with this, you know, in a real human way. And Robert Paul Taylor, our lead actor, he um, he was he I don't know how he did it, but he found this community, I think, in San Francisco. And he would talk to people on the phone with it. He would meet with people and with dissociative identity disorder. And they, you know, there would be moments on the phone, I think, where he would say he would talk to a woman and she'd be like, I see, I just switched right there. I just switched. But it was so subtle that you and he said, I'd really have to be paying attention in order to hear it or see it or, you know, whatever the case may be, you know, because some of this had to be done over the phone. And some of it, you know, there were opportunities for him to meet with people and discuss more and. He's we excellent just, in we, Yeah, he just, he he goes there and he has this great scene with Natalie, actually. And it's just where you see all these personalities and alters come out. So, yeah. Right on. All right. Well, um, that kind of, yeah, um, that makes me want to watch the movie more. Um, so I'm definitely going to have to, like, move that a little higher on my list. Um, <laughs> so uh, I'll make sure I get that one in and I'll have, P- I'll let Peter, uh uh, give you my review when I get to it, or <laughs> probably review it here on the show. Um, uh, Peter, you ready to close this on out tonight? Yeah. Sweet. Um, everybody do us all a favor. Check out our website, top five report.com. There you'll find links to all of our social media, Twitter and Facebook, along with a link to our email, top five report at gmail.com. Um, you can interact with the show there. You can hit us up on our social media. Either way works. Uh, we're on Google, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, uh, Apple Podcasts. You can subscribe to us. And if you do, you will not miss a single episode. Um, you can also review us. Uh, we love those five stars, but we understand criticism because it makes us get better and it makes the words we say feel important. Uh, you can follow me personally on Twitter and Instagram at Drew3927. Peter? Yeah, you can uh, follow me on Twitter at Ninja Pierre, And that is where I'll be releasing my new fan fiction project. Burgle Cut v. Humperdink, Dawn of Smart. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, 
Matt and Natalie, thank you so much for joining us. You both, um, anytime you guys want to come back, just let us know and we'll have you guys back and talk about thank it. Thank you. It's been yeah, great. Thank you, thank you guys. Thank you. Do you have any place you want people to get a hold of you or if they want to find you? Like, is there any, like, do you guys, or do you guys just not mess with social media? That's totally yeah, fine. Yeah, we're not just, really. I, I'm on, I'm on Instagram. That's the only thing I really do. Um, you can find me at Supermats. Uh, you can't actually find me by my real name, but it's super underscore M-A-T-S. Perfect. Um, that is my Instagram. Yeah. All right. And then obviously yeah. look for your movies, right? I'm so. more of a quiet. I'm not like, I, yeah, I'm not a big fan of the social world. <laughs> Sometimes, I mean, it depends, but yeah. It's all good. Yeah. Or anything, though. Mm. No. It's all good. All right. Well, everyone, thank you for listening. Matt and Natalie, again, thank you for coming. Uh, for the top five report, I'm Drew. I'm Peter. <laughs> Matt and Natalie, thank you again. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening, everybody. <laughs>